Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us for another episode. This is episode 186. Uh, we're recording this at 5 p.m. Pacific time, 7 p.m. Central time, if you're if you're where Zach is right now. Uh, I'm your host, Terry Plucknett. We've got Todd. We've got Zach. How's it going, guys? It's stellar. Spectacular. Now, now the, now the question is, have you guys been listening along to the Barry side show and have you been watching it? Zach, I know you hadn't watched it before. Uh, should I say the truth or should I say the truth that I'd like to be the truth? <laughs> Listen, I, I listened to, uh, eight minutes of the Adam and Terry Mariners slash MCU podcast. And that's, I, I think that was worthy of of a nobel prize just for that so uh no i, I can't say i've been listening to the barry podcast well give, give us the greatest hits why why did sell us like why why should we be listening to it um let's see here well Adam there cusses out todd no no it's just about barry that's, that's a good advertisement right there no mariners talk i like it adam cussed out todd i think that was probably the highlight so far nice yeah that was a that was a good moment and it It, was probably warranted (laughs) it was beautiful it was perfect i did not see it coming for sure Wait, todd was on on the podcast no 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 No, i listened to it i love the show it's a great show it's a great show have you been watching along todd or are you just remembering each episode uh i i haven't been watching them again i I think i watched the first season twice so i'm I'm, okay i remember the season pretty well yeah yeah, there's a character in in Barry that resembles Todd, and so uh, uh, Adam let out some frustrations with a with a quote um, that was directed toward uh, the uh, the resemblance. Nice, you gotta Adam, check it out. It, Adam was upset about that comparison, not Todd. No, a- Adam. Adam just let out frustrations about Todd with a oh. quote from Barry. Nice, <laughs> deep seated things about. A movie that came out like three years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, this Peter sounds... Butter Falcon. <laughs> yeah, Adam loves oh, Peter Butter nice. Falcon. I like that movie quite a bit. Yeah, you're a jerk for not liking that movie. Well, Adam just liked it because there was a wrestling scene in it. There is a wrestling scene in it, and it even has Shia LaBeouf in it. You you really didn't like it? Uh, I okay. I now I now I'm like definitely two and a half stars or something. I definitely want to listen to this. If, you got to watch the show. Else than just for watch the, the show. Watch the show. I don't have time. Listen. Well, it's, it's a half hour. Shows. It Plus is a half, half hour. hour. I can't. I don't have any extra time, man. It's chicks, you know. A half hour a All week, and then life. a half hour, uh, half hour Too episode. That's it. That's it. All right. Well, I, 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 I want eight hours of movie for this podcast. When when do I have time for TV series? Half hour. That that's 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 why we have time. You right. told me that you watched that that show, The Bear, or something. I did. I watched the first three episodes of The Bear, which I did enjoy. I, I have not gotten to the rest of it though. I've, have you seen or heard of The Bear, Terry? I've heard of it. Haven't haven't seen any of it. It's I like not, the I like the actor in it. Contrary to popular belief, it is not about Paul Bear Bryant. Whose popular belief was that? 
say. I don't know who. who uh, I'm sure someone somewhere thought it was about the bear. It's a sequel to Junction Boys. And that's yeah, exactly. All right, well, Zach, what are you drinking? Uh, in continuing my own uh, mini series, uh, I'm almost sideways. Uh, I'm continuing my Lewisburg hard cider run, which I began last week lovingly. And uh, this is like episode two of Barry, episode two of the hard cider. It's, it's going well so far. Two thumbs up. Very nice. Todd. Uh, I'm drinking some Pinot Noir 2016 Soaring Rooster from the Columbia Valley uh, distillery and uh, or winery or whatever in Richland, Washington. So it's pretty good. It's uh it's really dry and, and it's kind of a little bit sweet though. So it's interesting. I don't think Miles would necessarily be a fan of this one, but it's Pinot. So he doesn't love all Pinot though, because as I will, I re- rewatched it this week on Hulu and uh, there is a reserve Frass Canyon Pinot that he just ignores. Yeah. He just brushes it off. He's just yeah. like, I got to call Evelyn. <laughs> Yes, that's exactly the right part. Very good. Uh, yeah, time to watch Sideways for the billionth time, but not to <laughs> that's watch That's true. Well, that's period. only like two hours and eight minutes. You know, I can I can afford that. The, and not a, a 28 minute episode of. Yeah, 28 minute episode of Barry. Of the best dark do, comedy but, that's ever put, in, put on TV. Okay. Uh, I would really like it if you did, though. <laughs> All right. You have a decent know how, Hank. <laughs> I, I, it's not bad. It's not bad. All right. So I went to, to the brewery, Ridgewalker Brewery. Shout out to them. And I got a, this is a, a cider. Uh, so Zach and I are both doing the hard ciders. This is out of Portland cider, I think is what the it was called. And it's a tangerine creamsicle. So it's tangerines with a little bit of vanilla. It's good. It's good. Nice and refreshing on a warm day like today. All right, well, make sure you are subscribing, rating, reviewing uh, all over where you get your podcasts. Check out almostsideways.com for Dude, all the details. Can I get an invite on the podcast if I watch, Barry? Sure. Okay, that's an interesting incentive. And can I also go on rants about Todd? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Okay, I, I might be on board. All right. Okay, yeah. You got to no, catch lot, up, though. It's Hey, you guys learned that this summer. It's a lot more fun to rant about someone when they're not there to re- refute uh, what you're ranting about. It's true. It's true. I, I, I honestly don't think Ad, Adam would have uh, gone on his rant if Todd was there. <laughs> Probably not. Probably yeah. not. Uh, all right. Well, uh, let's get going with what we've been watching. And we are going to start today with Todd. Okay, I watched, uh, I don't know, I didn't watch like any really good movies this week, uh, but w- one of the ones I did watch uh, was a movie I'd never heard of, but it's directed by Stephen Daldry. It came out last year, apparently. I was, I was like, where the hell has that guy been? Like, he used to be like the A-list of all A-list directors, like his first four movies were all nominated for picture and or director. This movie was called Together. And um, so this movie is it's more like a, it's sort of like a two-hander uh, kind of movie. Like, uh, apparently he did a movie in 2017, or 2015 called Trash, and I remember that movie uh, being Trash. But uh, this one has uh, James McAvoy and Sharon Corgan, who I think was uh, Nick Cage's wife and ever massive talent. Um, They're a husband and wife, and this kid Samuel Logan is their child. And it starts on the first day of the national COVID lockdown in the UK. And it's shot in a way that's sort of supposed to be like a play. The characters interact with each other, but they also break the fourth wall. They're constantly talking to the camera and trying to like get you to understand their point of view or something they're constantly just arguing it's portraying a marriage that was already having issues and then that's all extrapolated by 
the the quarantine and um, that lasted what a, a year solid or something for them. Um, it does a really good job at playing to the plot of the movie because you really are just stuck in this house with them for 90 minutes and some pain in the ass like uh, they have petty arguments like she's a liberal he's a conservative they argue points that we already hear and it's not that interesting it doesn't feel real it's just it has these unbroken shots and it just seems like a gimmick uh, because you can you can totally tell it's like oh wow the, the camera's just moving with them like they're not like there's no cutting that like am i supposed to be involved with that it's um and you're just like a third party witnessing these two people bitching at you for, for 90 minutes. And, and nobody wants to relive that bullshit anyway. Um, it, it, it tries to be uh, like of the moment and informative and enlightening, but it's not really that smart. It's not, yeah, definitely not smart enough to do that. And uh, it probably felt edgy when they were doing it, but, uh, and, but I mean, I don't think anyone wants to put themselves through that. It's, it's a bad version of these COVID lockdown movies. Uh, like I, I still stand by seven days. That is the best one of these, but this is, this is just not good. It's a one and a half star movie. Probably Stephen Daldry's worst movie. All right. Oscar nominated yeah. Stephen Daldry. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I said, several times, like five time nominee or something. Is he the biggest hack in Oscar history? Well, I mean, well, he had that run where he was, he was basically like Bennett Miller. Like, everything he did was just like, okay, Best Picture nomination, Best Director nomination. Four movies in a row. I mean, that's pretty That's pretty legit. I think, I mean, I think Adam McKay is approaching that level. But I suppose. But very those were to start his career. Like, Billy Elliot, The Hours. Um, then he had The Reader and then Terry's favorite movie, Extreme Love and Incredibly Close. Like, those are four straight. I didn't like profile. that movie. Or did I? I did. I guess I did. Give it. I did give it three and a half. That's right. I got to go back and watch it. Again. I didn't like it. I got to go back and watch that one again. I don't know. I mean, I, I love The Hours and Billy Elliot's obviously a great movie. It's been redone and made into a musical and all that. But uh, this is not I, I, I couldn't believe I, I never heard of this movie. And it was directed by such a like an, a former A-list director like Stephen Daldry. All right. Well, uh, speaking of Oscar nominees, I'll go next. Uh, and go with my Oscar watch for this week. Uh, first, before I talk about my Oscar watch, I uh, I did write a review uh, that's uh, that's out there right now. It's on it's on the Twitter account. It's on the it's on the Facebook account for uh, Emily the Criminal, uh, starring Aubrey Plaza. So check out that if you want to see uh, what I thought of that. Um, but my Oscar watch this week is uh, twenty years ago, so two thousand two. It is a that I, I doubt you're going to get this. I would be shocked if you got this. It is a lone best makeup nominee. Down with love. No, no apparently it was also nominated at for the golden schmoes award for worst movie of the year. Hmm. Wow. Okay. So it's a comedy. I assume. Nope. Hmm. Ballistic X versus sever. <laughs> if that was an Oscar nominee, that would be a that would be amazing. But no, I don't even know where the makeup work is in this movie. There, it's has anyone seen it? I don't think so. Ooh, that's something I didn't check. Let me check really quick. I do like those random makeup um, nominations, like Life. That was a great. Oscar oh yeah. Talk about boring movie titles. Yeah, and going back, Stephen Daldry's got a bunch of boring movie titles as well. I don't know how that was a omission on our part on that list. Adam I, has seen it. Oh, it doesn't help at all. 
Like, so is it an action movie? It is an action movie. The sum of no, sum of all fears based on a classic novel. Hmm. Based on a classic H.G. Wells novel. Oh, the the time machine. The time machine. Wow, talk about forgotten movies. Two thousand two time machine, starring Guy Pierce. When he was an A-lister. When yeah, the same year as Count of Monte Cristo, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. But uh, yeah, this is starring Guy Pierce, um, and then a bunch of people. Jeremy Irons pops up at one point. Mark Addy is in this movie. Uh, it's directed by Simon Wells, um, and the interesting one is it's written by John Logan, who is a three-time Oscar nominee. Um, and uh, this, so this was made. This was written like in between Gladiator. And the last samurai and aviator. He did the time machine, a Star Trek sequel, and Sinbad Legend of the Seven Seas. So it was not a very strong post uh first nomination run for, for John Logan. Um so Time Machine, it's interesting. It's billed as based on the novel, but also based on the 1960 screenplay, uh, which I thought was interesting. And it tell it tells the classic tale um Guy Pierce plays Alexander, whose uh, whose girl is uh, is murdered, and so he builds a time machine to go back in time to save her. And when that doesn't go as planned, he decides to then go into the future to try and discover uh, one of life's greatest questions and the answer to it, which is why why can you not uh, change the past? Uh, another great uh, random pop up from another A-lister of that time. Orlando Jones pops up as uh, basically the avatar of the uh, of the library and he is like the uh, the database of all human knowledge. Uh, anyways, Guy Pierce ends up going to like year 800,000 and we've completely reverted to, uh, to basically cave people and there are these orc-like creatures that are attacking uh, and uh, led by Jeremy Irons who has a brain halfway down his back. It's, it's odd. Um, it's, it's a weird movie. Uh, it, it's a, it's like this epic scope and scale, but it's an hour and a half. Um, it, it needed to expand a little bit more. There's so many holes in this plot. It doesn't know what it's trying. I mean, how do you, how do you fully adapt a, a crazy, uh, classic book like this in an hour and a half like that? you, you're going to leave stuff out and it's going to feel thin. And that's what this one felt like. It also felt like just an action movie of the time. I mean, this is 2002. It, it felt about right for there. It's not great, but it was, it was entertaining. I I'm always up for, for seeing Guy Pierce in anything. I'm going to give it two stars. Uh, it, it, uh, it definitely needed to be more, but I mean, it, it didn't suck, but it wasn't great. <laughs> Would I watch it again? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, it's one of those like background movies that you could easily have on. So yeah, that's The Time Machine. So the, the 2022 question is, what streaming platform would The Time Machine be on now that people would ignore it on and not watch it? Well, probably the one I, I watched it on, which was Epics. There we go. <laughs> it was It was on... 
it was on i want to say it was on hbo max and then fell off this week and so i i had to find it on something else which was epics so that's a great future power rankings greatest movies from the non-streaming era that would be streaming movies today or like if streaming had existed in that era they would have gone direct to streaming the time machine's up there probably all right zach what'd you watch well, this has been a downer. Man, you guys like watch some <laughs> terrible movies. I'm here to bring you a great movie, okay? And I'm I may I might be overselling it. This movie just got me really excited watching it. It it's it was one of those wonderful experiences where I went into it not having very high expectations. I really hadn't heard much about it. Um and I got to say I kind of loved it. It's a 2022 movie and the name of the movie is I Love My Dad. AKA uh. the movie where the main character gets catfished by his dad. Now, listen, okay, great premise to a movie. Uh, maybe strains a little bit of believability if you're just reading about it, which is why I went in with a little bit of, un- you know, understandable skepticism. But fortunately, this movie, I think, absolutely delivers. It stars Patton Oswald as Chuck, who is a loser, divorced dad. Uh, he's trying to reconnect with his uh, angsty teenage son, Franklin, who's played by James Morosini, who also wrote and directed the movie. And apparently this is based on a true incident from James Morosini's life. So it would have been really interesting to hear about what the dad actually thought of watching this movie. Anyway, um, in a desperate attempt to connect with his son, he uh, Chuck uh, creates an avatar of a waitress who lives in his town named Becca. She's played by Claudia Saluski. And uh, she he she connects with, uh, what's his name, Franklin, over the internets. And uh, yeah, lots of deception, lots of uh, intrigue. There is uh, some great scenes where like, you know, the director sort of imagines what the relationship would be like. And we get some funny stuff with uh, Patton Oswalt and James Morosini making out. I'm sure that was all over the publicity blitz for this movie. Here's the truth, though, okay? I actually thought this was a really well done movie. It's like, it's the old Ebert line about a movie's not what it's about, but how it's about it. We've seen this material before. We know, you know, we've seen a lot of um, kind of hidden identities uh, for, for romance movies. I, I wrote a couple down here. There's definitely World's Greatest Dad in this movie, although I don't think it's quite as That's dark. That's the one that I, I thought of when I heard And I know a lot it. of critics have been comparing it to that. I don't think it, it doesn't have that Bobcat Goldweight sort of, uh, uh, edge to it. This one, I think, is a lot more sweet and genuine. Um, there's, you know, truth about cats and dogs, enough said. And even, dare I say, a little bit of sideways in it. Um, I think this movie is absolutely charming. I think pa- Patton Oswald is both hilarious and sincere um, and uh, very uh, genuine in, in his portrayal. And this is the second movie in two weeks that I've talked about on this podcast that is a comedy about mental illness because uh, the, the son in this movie, Franklin, is uh, you see him in the first scene of the movie he's kind of coming out of a group therapy session that sort of adds another dynamic which is that once the the jig is sort of up how could you tell franklin that the dad was really this girl without sending him in a mental you know spiral um really interesting kind of moral questions that give this movie a little bit of dramatic heft um i thoroughly enjoyed it i'm giving it three and a half stars Uh, i think it's a really entertaining and thoughtful movie about something that um seems like a sort of one joke premise but actually has uh, like I said, a lot of sincerity and, and a lot of craft to it. And uh, I think it's a movie that must have been hard to make because it really got under my skin as I was watching it. There's definitely some queasy scenes in it. There's definitely some cringeworthy elements. But 
on a whole, I think this movie absolutely delivers. And uh, I think it might end up, it, there's a chance it could end up as one of my top movies of the year. I really loved it and admired it. Nice. Nice. You Always guys up should for a good Pat Oswalt movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, it, when he tries, as he did in that, you know, the the big fan movie, I mean, he's actually a really interesting and unique actor that has dimension to him that not a lot of other actors can pull off. Cool. Either okay. you guys seen it or heard of it? I've heard, heard of, it. of it. Okay. Yeah, haven't had a chance to see it yet. Has, hasn't been around here at all. All right. Well, let's move on. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got a featured review. We've got a come to the stable review, which are always fun. Uh, we have a great power ranking looking at the rest of the year before we uh, wrap it all up with our trivia. But let's get to our featured review. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zach movie ever made. You got to see it. Movie reviews. And for this, uh, we saw. Uh, well, Zach and I did. Todd didn't get a chance to get to this one yet, but I'm sure he'll report on it once he does. Uh, we saw the, uh, I, I'd say fairly highly anticipated. Like, it had been hyped up quite a bit. It, we'd seen the trailer out a lot. Uh, it is the uh, the thriller Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. A puss. You don't have to be nervous. I, I'm not nervous. Wow, the hell so impressive. You're impressive. They're going to be obsessed with you. They're not as nihilistic as they look on the internet. You guys, this is me. Oh, whoa. Is this your first relationship? Oh, uh, no. You just kind of give that vibe. Oh, you know that has weed in it, right? Silence! Who wants to play bodies, bodies, bodies? So how do you play? If you draw the piece of paper that has the X on it, you are the murderer. Let's go. And if you're the murderer, you have to kill someone by touching them on the back. The most important part, if you come across a body, you have to yell, Body, body, body! Is that the lights? Our friend is dead. I'm a hot girl, I'm a hot girl. Someone's doing this. They're trying to kill us off one by one. That would be so obvious if I were the killer. Taking off my clothes in the window for the neighbors. Where are you? I'm a hot girl. How long have you known her? What are you talking about? Jordan, what are you doing? I'm staying safe. Really? Because it looks like you're grabbing a meat cleaver to go look for my boyfriend. Just watch your girl. You pushed her. Liar. That all you got, mother? I brought something. What is it? It's zucchini bread. Yum. I'm a hot girl, pop girl, rich girl. I'm a girl, fast girl. Catch me if you can go. I'm gonna go first on this one. And talking about this, this is directed by. Helena Rain, Ryan. I'm not sure exactly how to say her name. Uh, this is her second movie that she's directed, uh, written by Sarah DeLapp. And it is a movie where a group of people get together at uh, this uh, one of the 
kids are uh, one of the one of the characters their dad has this huge mansion and they get together there to uh have a, a hurricane party because there's a hurricane and they're gonna ride it all out together in uh in this house um among the group you have uh, amanda senberg rachel senate lee pace pete davidson and oscar nominee maria bakalova uh yep yep that's that's never gonna get old so um they decide while they're there to uh to play a game called bodies 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 which is i I mean all of us have played a game like this when we were kids it's you you turn off all the lights you sneak around the house uh and uh it's similar to something like if you played wolf when you were a kid or sardines something like that but the idea is there's one person who is dubbed the murderer who goes around and tries to tap someone on the back and if they tap them on the back you're dead and if you come across one of the one of the bodies you yell bodies 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 and then you get together and have a little council see who did it and and guess who did it and move on well this is the plan and they start playing the game but then people actually start dying and so it's uh it's a question of who's killing who uh is the game still going on uh and and really what is going on and conveniently right around this time is when the power goes out and they're they have no way out and uh i it's it's felt very much like uh clue the movie if clue the movie was uh was played as a as a slasher thriller comedy uh instead of just a complete slapstick comedy um this movie this was a lot of fun i really enjoyed this movie it's got it's definitely not a movie that's for everyone. It is definitely like a millennial type of movie. You've got uh, you've got a lot of um, modern stuff going on. Like Clue is feels fairly timeless. This is like if it, if it, a millennial Clue almost. Uh, the the characters are all really interesting and all have their own fascinating quirks that makes them somewhat suspicious and somewhat uh, questionable. As the movie goes along in the middle for a little while, it does slow down. And I think there's like this climactic um, like scene of, of accusations and accusing people that doesn't really quite work the way I think they were hoping it did. But uh, I would say the way it all comes out and the payoff in the end makes it all worth it. I thought the payoff at the end was perfect. It, it it really uh, brought the movie home well. I'm giving it three stars. This was a fun movie. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was once it got going, it flew. It flew by, and uh, and like I said, the 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 payoff at the end, I thought, just just capped it off great. Got a little slow in the middle, but the payoff was great. Zach, where are you at with this one? Well, I do want to note uh, an addendum to your review, which is that this is definitely not a millennial movie. This is a Gen Z movie. Okay, Get it thank right, you. Terry. Thank you. 
Come on, we are the millennial generation, okay? We yeah. remember what it was like to, you know, get a cable box and tune into HBO and uh, actually go next door and play with your neighbor and build a fort like they did in uh, This Is 40. Valid point. Uh, the the, My the characters in this movie never built a fort uh, except no. if they were playing like Minecraft or something on that's their a, phones that's because they were, <laughs> they were born to a, a, an era in which uh, they literally got a device in their hand probably at a very young age with the exception, with one notable exception in this movie. I'm kind of surprised you didn't bring that character up, but I will in a second. Yeah, um, yeah. This is a, this is an interesting movie. There's definitely an, a shades of uh, Spring Breakers and the Bling Ring in this movie. Not just the fact that it's an A24 movie, but it's a kind of edgier, but in some ways more thoughtful look at um, kind of a younger generation. But not just that, but also a very privileged uh, group of characters. You know, this house that they live in is massive. It's maybe a little bit like Mar-a-Lago, except the FBI isn't rating it. Uh, and we've got some characters who are truly like nihilistic and pretty like rude and you know not not so fun to be around um and you kind of wonder why these people are friends and they sort of allude to that there had been past relationships and they maybe knew each other from a long time ago but are kind of reconnecting and that's never really fleshed out maybe deliberately so um i kind of struggled with this movie i thought that the premise was was interesting um but I always felt like in the back of my head that this movie was trying to make a commentary about Gen Z, that it was trying to be a New York Times think piece, maybe a think piece written in Rolling Stone by William Miller. But like it was trying to make a statement that I'm not quite sure it understood what it was saying or I'm not quite sure what it was saying exactly. And I'm also not sure if it was this, this was quite the right movie to say it in. So when I left the theater, uh, I, I was going to give it two and a half stars. Now, I've thought about this a little bit. And I'm going to give it a thumbs up for a yeah. few uh, First of all, this movie is, you're absolutely right. This movie's short. It gets to the point. There's no, there's no spare anything. All right. There's, there's, we don't mercifully, we don't get a whole lot of backstory with these characters, which I admire. Um, I also really like the performances in this movie. Actually, for a ensemble cast, there really isn't a weak performance in the in the bunch. I think Maria Bakalova is is really talented, and and this is the first movie. You know, she was in Borat, she was in The Bubble. This is the first actually like legitimately good movie she's been in, um, and I thought she she was really good as this sort of. Um, ambiguous character you don't always understand her motives the less said the more kind of with that character uh i think amandala uh, uh, stenberg is putting together a great resume and she has some really powerful scenes in this movie that are awesome uh rachel senate from shiva baby kind of takes the same persona that she played in that movie um and is really good and terry you forgot to mention uh my mvp of this movie is lee pace yeah. Who is, uh, you know, this like I think he's in his 40s. He's totally out of his element in this movie. We're not quite sure why he's there, except to maybe make a commentary about Gen Z, which he's sort of afraid to because he's like a little I, I, I kind of he's a unique character. He's sort of intimidated by the younger people in the house. And I kind of admire that. And then there's, of course, Pete Davidson, who's essentially sort of playing. I guess a version of himself or the, the, the way the media portrays uh, Pete Davidson. I think he does a pretty, pretty good job. Um, again, I, I would have liked this movie a little bit more if it had been more of a kind of straightforward genre piece instead of trying to throw in these kind of smarmy, cheeky, tongue in cheek lines about Gen Z um, that I think are meant to elicit critical discussion in the discourse i think this is this works better as just a, a, a genre movie um but it is suspenseful at times you don't quite know where it's going 
I have to disagree with you about the ending. The ending to me felt a little pat, and it also felt like, you know, boom, boom, boom. Um, and I, it also made me think that the movie might have worked a little better. Yeah, Todd doesn't know what I'm talking about, but you'll you'll agree with me when you see it. Uh, it also felt like the movie probably would have maybe worked better as a, as a 20 minute short. However, I'm giving a thumbs up on the strength of the performances, on the originality of the script. I think that the movie's well directed and it looks pretty good. And uh, it was it was a movie that um, I don't know if I'll think about a whole lot in the near future, but I'm glad A24 is putting out movies like this, at the very least for a spotlight on this uh, pretty talented cast who probably in 10 years we will know all the people in this movie. I like the ending. I thought it worked. Uh, I will agree. Lee Pace is pretty great in this and, and kind of unrecognizable. Like we've seen him in some stuff and this is a, a version of him that we don't get to see very often. And, uh, and yeah, he, he's definitely an interesting character. Um, I remember watching the trailer for this and thinking that um, Pete Davidson and some of the ways he delivers his, his lines reminds me of Todd a little bit. Um. Are we? Are, is this an ins, is this the insulting Todd part of the podcast? This, no, he said the same thing when he watched King of Staten Island. So. I said the same thing when I watched King of Staten Island too. Yeah, it. it I. I don't know. It's just something. Something about it. Just his cadence at times, kind of, and and his facial expressions when he delivers some of his lines. It reminds me of Todd. Anyways, um, yeah, I, I'm glad you gave it thumbs up. I don't know how much more we can say without without Todd uh, without Todd seeing it. Uh, he needs to see it. Yeah, Adam yeah, gave it two and a half. I will say that Adam gave it two and a half, which surprises me considering how much he likes this genre of movie. I don't think it was trying to make the statements that you were you were saying. It it I, did throw in yeah. some random lines, but I think it was just more more just you know making making light of of what of how ridiculous the characters were at times. I I, I don't think it was something you needed to read into at all. Yeah, I, I think I might be overreacting to it a little bit. I will say, like, this is almost, you know, we watched Vengeance a few weeks ago. This is, like, the flip side of that. I walked out of Vengeance thinking that that was, like, a, a three-star positive movie. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, this movie is a little too on the nose. It's trying to it's trying to say too too many sweeping generalizations about life in 2022. This movie, it, I, I, is, it, I think it attempts, I don't think it's deliberately attempting to make the same kind of generalization, sweeping generalizations that Vengeance does, but it has some lines in it that I felt like, I don't know if the characters would really say that in that situation. I feel like it was kind of thrown in there to make a point about Gen Z that maybe critics would pick up on. Um, but to me, that didn't really, it, the experience of watching it was a little annoying, but the more I thought about it, those were just kind of minor points that, it's kind of seeing the forest for the woods. I think overall the movie the movie works. I don't think it's a great movie by any means, but it's it's entertaining. It's it's solid. And again, in an era where everything is derivative, everything is a franchise, and everything and, and movies like this, you know, this is not a gore fest. This is not a movie with jump scares necessarily. Uh, it's a movie that uh, relies on kind of thoughtful character development and what your perceptions are of the characters and their motives. And to me, that makes that puts it at a at a level up compared to a lot of other movies that kind of come out in this in this genre. But that's also why it's an A24 movie. Absolutely. So I have not seen this movie, but I have to say, like, I, I didn't necessarily know that it was about, like, making the that game into a horror movie. But, like, 15 years ago, I, I remember this this time when I thought I could actually be a screenwriter. Like, I, um, I had an idea to make, like, a game you play as a child into a slasher movie. 
and apparently this movie just stole my thunder because like i was thinking like ring like a uh, red rover red rover or heads up seven up like that'd be the name of like the slasher movie and like and like i never even considered that someone would actually take that idea and it maybe took like 15 years but well, yeah, this well, is totally that idea well, hey, i know the, well here's the thing that idea was already done in one of my top 10 movies of 2019 ready or not which is a total it's maybe my favorite adam movie and that movie is basically a hide a violent hide and seek and I thought a lot about that movie watching this movie. This movie is not quite as good as Ready or Not, but I also think this movie is a little more meta than Ready or Not, which is, again, more of a straightforward genre movie. But I would, I would be intrigued by your script, man. I think you got to write it. Here's the, real, here's the real disappointment. Get it to the people. Let them decide. This is... Uh, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is a total Todd movie. I mean, I was expecting you to come on <laughs> and give this movie three and a half stars and rave about the cast. So I, I'm disappointed by that. Don't you think, Terry? Wouldn't you agree? He, he, I think he's going to like this movie more than we did. I think Todd's going to describe this movie as a banger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just because it has Pete Davidson, it makes it a Todd movie, apparently. Because I like that. No, I, I, I can see it. No, well, no, you you like you like claustrophobic movies that are mm-hmm. that are one like one 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 long location. night. Yeah. Yeah, yep. and uh, and and it's very character driven. Yep. Even though it's a even though it's a thriller. No, you I yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I do really want to see it. Unfortunately, I could not get to it. All right. Well, we'll hear what you have to say uh, when you do. It's twice approved right now, and we'll uh, we'll wait for the thrice to see if it happens. But Adam didn't like it. Adam didn't. But Adam like didn't it. like it. Adam gave it two and a half. It, That's interesting. Well, I don't want to spoil any. I guess I'll just say it probably could have been. It was probably not violent enough for Adam. Would be maybe my guess. <laughs> that could be. That could be. All right. Well, that's Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. If it's around you, go see it. Uh, it's worth the watch for sure. Uh, if nothing else to support original content like that being in theaters. All right. Moving on. It is now time for a come to the stable watch. Uh, we do these every now and then where uh, inspired by the movie from the 40s that we was the first one of these called Come to the Stable that we just watched on a whim and all loved it. And now it became a, a recurring segment on the podcast where we pick a random movie that none of us have seen that is connected in some way to something and decide to watch it and, uh, and see how it goes. So for this one, Todd, I may need to go to you uh, just to remind us all what, what the connection was. Cause we have kind of a running list of these, but uh, this movie, it it's from 1987 it has a total of 376 votes on IMDb, um, and it is called Undercover. After his partner is gunned down on a narcotics deal, David Nydorf takes on the assignment in an effort to nail the killers. Undercover is an uncompromising thriller packed with action. Officer Peterson thought this program was a joke. Got him killed. Don't you make the same mistake. They promised him protection. But promises get broken. David Nydorf. Jennifer Jason Lee. Undercover. So, Todd, tell us why we watched undercover and then tell us what it's about, what you thought. Okay. So the, the lead in undercover is uh, this actor, David Niedorf, 
who uh, we talked about on the Hoosiers uh, deep dive because he plays Everett, which is uh, Shooter's son. And we started looking at him. Yeah, and then yeah, Terry had watched Bull Durham as his uh, anniversary watch or something. And, and I think that might, maybe that was when we actually brought it up. But like we looked at his list and he's got six movies he's been in, all from 86 to 89. And they are all absolute bangers, with the exception of this movie, Undercover, which we, none of us had, had heard of. Because he's been in Hoosiers, which is obviously the best basketball movie ever. Platoon, I mean, uh, it's obviously like a top 100 movie of all time. Empire of the Sun, constantly... If, if, if there is like an underrated Spielberg movie, it's always cited as being Empire of the Sun. Bull Durham, maybe the best baseball movie ever. And Born on the Fourth of July, best picture nominee. We, I mean, everyone loves Born on the Fourth of July. And then he's got this movie Undercover, which we had never heard of. So we had been like, what is this movie? Uh, it's not available to stream anywhere, but it's in, in its entirety on YouTube for some reason. Um, <laughs> and I don't know why this guy, David Niedorf, does, didn't really act. I mean, he was in some TV stuff, but this is the one time he got to be the lead in the movie. And this movie is directed by John Stockwell, who uh, is Cougar in Top Gun. Come on, Cougar! Come on! I don't know him from. Um, <laughs> and it, it's about um, Niedorf plays this Baltimore cop who goes undercover in a high school uh, in the South uh, to look into a drug ring and to find out how his undercover cop friend was killed. Uh, and Niedorf plays Sheffield Hauser, which is a great name. And... Um, <laughs> Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee is in this as Tennille because she's a narcotics officer and she goes with him. Uh, Brad Leland, who is Buddy in Friday Night Lights, um, is uh, immediately suspicious because, I mean, he looks so much like Randy Quaid in this. It was kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, this is, is an absolute 80s movie through and through. The electronic music score seemingly like never stops in the background. Like It, it is in every single frame. Uh, Niedorf is fine in this. He kind of looks like um, almost younger than he did in Hoosiers where he actually was a high school, but here they keep making fun about the fact that he looks too old to be in high school, which is a weird dichotomy, and this is a year later. Um, he thinks... Uh, I I think he he thinks that he's being Mickey Rourke or something. His line delivery and posture is like totally like an early 80s Mickey Rourke kind of thing. Jennifer Jason Lee is awesome. Like uh, She's interesting. She's playing... She plays her part in the high school as being like this sexy chick so that uh, it distracts everybody from thinking that she actually is way too old to be in high school. Yeah, but I think she's really good. Uh, the movie moves really quickly, sometimes to its detriment. It never really pays off some things that you uh, kind of are looking forward to. Uh, it has some really, really well-crafted scenes, but um, the climactic scenes uh, seem to be almost inconsequential and they, it moves by way too quick. Uh, the ending is particularly pretty un, un, unsatisfying. Something about these V-movies, though, is really appealing and really watchable. Uh, this isn't really a good one, but it, it, it is sort of like a riff on Jump Street. It, 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 it is almost like like a, like a reimagining in, in that way of Jump Street, just as like a crime drama. Uh, but yeah, Cougar was never really a great director. Like this, uh, this movie uh, was almost like one of his movies he made later on was Into the Blue, and it has almost a similar plot. If you were gonna put it in like a a, a different setting, uh, but it, it has a similar feel. It's it, it's not great. I'm giving it two stars, but I will say that this movie actually did put a smile on my face watching it because we, when we do these kind of reviews, it's probably the best part of my week. Yeah, I was I was gonna. Day best part of my day i was gonna quote um uh, like like adjust the quote from uh from knocked up and say uh undercover is an unfunny version of 21 jump street um 
that's basically yeah. that's basically what this is. Um, yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you. I'm giving it one and a half stars. Uh, I was a little less like entertained, putting a smile on my face from it. It it's it's a low budget movie that feels like it's a low budget script and it's a and a low budget production. Like sometimes you can find these low budget movies that just that just sing. And this ain't one of them. Um, it, it just, it just struggled to get going. It struggled to have any, any sort of, uh, any sort of believable plot. I thought David Nydorf was kind of horrible in it. Um, he, he was just kind of, every single one of his lines, he's just reading to the, to the camera. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, you can tell why she became a thing because she's amazing in this. Like she's the best part of this movie. Uh, I, I find it really funny that you were saying he kind of looks younger than he did in, in Hoosiers. If you look at the movie poster of this, he looks like he's 45 and he's wearing a Letterman jacket he never wore in the movie. Um, So I thought yeah. that was kind of interesting. I think it might be the chest hair because like he, he shaves his chest in this, but he's not actually, he doesn't actually have chest hair, but he has a lot of chest hair in Hoosiers. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I don't know. It, it felt like everyone was playing a caricature and trying to be a character from another movie. Like, I feel like I feel like Cougar is the type of director that'd be like, okay, okay, you've seen this movie, right? Be that character. Okay, go. Like, I felt like that. that's what was going on. But either that or, you know, it was his director, directorial debut, and he, he just got so scared. He didn't know what to do. Um, so... Uh... <laughs> Wow, I could. I'm just gonna quote like the five minutes of Cougar we get in Top Gun all the time now. Uh, yeah, one and a half stars for me, Zach. Okay, well here's the thing, you guys. I I think Cougar's actually a good director. He made Crazy Beautiful with Kirsten Dunst and Jay Hernandez, which when I saw when I was 14 years old, I kind of like freaking loved that movie. Um, this movie not so much. Uh, I, I do want to go back to the poster for it, though, because the poster is one of my favorite <laughs> things about this movie. It does one of those classic, like, uh, you know, Z-level 80s movies things where it, like, it looks like the the cover art, someone literally cut out, like, a picture of um, oh, yeah, uh, I can see that. David Needorf, and you can, like, see the backlit. He's like, there's like lighting that's like on his, you know, his profile. Same with Jennifer Jason Lee. And it looked like they like put it on a Xerox machine and turn it into like primitive uh, Photoshop or something. But you know like what? That. I think that's totally intentional, though, because of, I mean, that's telling you what they're going undercover in high school. So they're like just like pasting these two people inside of a high school i, I, I get yeah. that I maybe get there's that. maybe there's a deeper level to it i also love the tagline for this movie they're going back to school dot 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 as cops <laughs> <laughs> that's a real banger out of the publicity department right there that took that took a lot of thought uh i'm mostly with todd on this one i thought this movie was fun to watch at least for the first 45 minutes um i really liked i mean listen we just reviewed a movie with fish out of water coming to texas like i like the scenes where he's inter interacting with his aunt and uncle in south Carolina. first of all oh i forgot okay this movie opens up with saint patrick's day have you ever seen a movie where the 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 title at the bottom is saint patrick's day i was like wow that's that that's that's new 
Uh, anyway, um, so the St. Patrick's Day incident, which I don't think is really referred to ever again, the fact that it happened on St. Patrick's Day, but apparently that's important. It's two days after my birthday, I guess. Uh, anyway, uh, so when he's interacting with the Southern people, his aunt, uh, some great, great dialogue there. Um, I love the the trashy Southern people in this movie. I love the joke that one guy makes. Well, the Yankee woman sighted her in sex. She was calling me from Boston. That was, I thought, that was a laugh out loud moment for me. Um <laughs> Also, another laugh out loud moment for me was Jennifer Jason Lee. Uh, you know, she's she's this undercover detective. Uh, she's seducing a high school boy aged very well. I mean, that's a great premise for a 2022 movie, I'm sure. Um, anyway, as she's seducing him, she's trying to come up with reasons for him to not uh, to, to stop. And so she says, and I wrote this down. I have my period. Didn't stop him. I have herpes. He was still going for it. And then it turns out that she was wearing a wire. It's like all these excuses just just didn't work. Um, yeah, I, I loved it. Helen from Speed is the chemistry teacher. I think you guys forgot to say that. Uh, yes, she, she has yes. some memorable moments. Uh, she's very angry at him when he when he drops that flask. I do want to know about his his performance in chemistry class because like they, we never see him do the homework in this movie, but I'm guessing he must have done the homework. Um, I also liked the fact that. Uh, cocaine in this movie is referred to as booger juice never heard that one before <laughs> and that uh everett uh who was so good in basketball uh you know i think he had maybe four points in the in the state championship game versus south bend south or whatever uh he becomes a baseball star in this movie um and uh he really lifts up the baseball team so doing chemistry homework Work, doing, uh, working on the baseball team, still having time to solve the murder. And another great thing about this movie, too, I couldn't understand the last 30 minutes of this movie. I have no idea how. It has something to do with a guy who ate oysters and got hives. There's something about a, 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 a ID in a car. They go into a house. They break into a house. And they, they see a guy who's, ha who's taken out trash. I don't know what the hell happened in the last 30 minutes of this movie, but was, what was so beautiful about it is I couldn't go on Wikipedia to check because Wikipedia doesn't have a plot description of this movie. No one's seen this so movie, yeah. I was, all, I was all on my own. I was on my own island trying to figure out what, what happened at the end of this movie. Um, but uh, I give it two stars. I think it's solid entertainment, and um, I like that it kind of paints uh, Southern rednecks as horrible people. That's, that's the most redeeming part of the movie for me. It's another one of those that just... It, it it feels like it, it's kind of similar to the time machine in that it feels like, hey, we're bringing you along for this ride and it moves so fast and in so many random directions that you really have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. And so you're not along for the ride at all. Um, I will say, yes, it's always good to see Beth Grant in something. Um, looking at, all right, I got, I, I was just looking at the pictures that it has for this on IMDb. Um <laughs> The first off, the um, the the um, the poster for this makes David Nydorf look like Peter Stormare. Um, second, true. if you just look at the like the second and third pictures, if you just look at them without without clicking on them, like zoomed out like that, he kind of looks like Bill Paxton. Yeah, where was Bill Paxton in this movie? That was another question I had. Why so, wasn't Bill Paxton in this movie? So then, third, then there's there's like a, a German poster for this that i have no idea who that's supposed to be uh is that supposed to be the 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 partner that that gets killed in the first scene maybe i don't know and then it and then you have to look if you haven't yet you have to look at 
the VHS cover. That's a great VHS cover. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful it, cover. I mean, that, that I get is... a poster of that. Can we get a poster like in your room book. for that, <laughs> It looks like an algebra book. <laughs> that is an algebra book. If you zoom in on it, it the green one is an algebra oh, book. Oh, yeah, the green one. No, but I thought, I thought you said the, the, just the cover looked like an algebra book. Oh, well, well, <laughs> I can see that too, I guess. <laughs> Uh, I mean, can you can you imagine having this on your uh, on your VHS shelf, and all you see is that awkward drawing of David Nydorf's face? It's a horrible with, drawing. With just the slightest little look of the of the bill of the hat. I mean, you guys he, have to look this up. I, who does he look like? It, it, like, I think there's a little bit of like John Lovitz in that face. <laughs> Doesn't it, did they see the movie? I don't know. But now I'm also convinced that uh, that David Nidorf's character in Bull Durham was also an undercover cop, but he got cut from the team, so he wasn't able to to bust Nuke Lelouch for whatever he was trying to bust him for. Nice. <laughs> and yeah, talk about talk about real original premise for this movie. I mean, you have a cop who is undercover trying to figure out the narc ring at the high school. That guy dies in the first 10 minutes on St. Patrick's Day. And then they, they just do the same thing. They don't even think to try something different. They just just throw in a guy from Baltimore. They just like that didn't work. Why? Why do you think you're? They even went to the same place. Like all right, the last guy from Baltimore didn't work. No wonder another one. Because they everybody knows that the guy that just got killed was a narc. Like really? That that's that's your best plan. I know what you can do. If you ask me if I'm a cop, I have to answer truthfully. So just ask me if I'm a cop. Okay, are you a cop? No, I'm not a cop. Okay, how much do you want? <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, it was creative. Yeah, it, it, yeah. I, I mean, anytime no you can idea. bring Breaking Bad in, I have no idea when we talked about this movie. I still have not. It, it was uh, maybe on both, both or neither Fast Times and uh, Hoosiers deep dives. I have no, I no, have no recollection. I think it came movie. up when I talked about Bull Durham. I think yeah, that's when it came it up. Was, that was after, soon after we had done Hoosiers, I think, and it was within probably six months of that. Because I, like. I meant I mentioned that that the guy from Hoosiers was in Bull Durham, and then Todd looked up his filmography and was like, "Dude, he was in like everything." And then there's this one random movie in between. It's like we gotta watch it. That's what yeah. happened. I mean, there are some canon movies that are good. Like I think the 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 eaching of canon movies in the '80s was uh, Fifty Two Pickup. With Roy Scheider. That's actually a legitimately good movie. This movie, you see the opening scene. Every canon movie begins the same way. It begins with a shot of the beach and like chimes and a guitar. And uh, I was like, okay, I'm ready for the canon experience. Um, <laughs> not, not enough bloodshed in this movie. Um, not enough sleaze. Too, too much unintentional humor is sometimes a, a, a bad thing. But it was very entertaining. High on entertainment level. All right, let's bring it full circle. So the director of this movie, John Stockwell, was Cougar. He directed uh, he directed David Nydorf in this movie, who went on to be in Bull Durham. And in Bull Durham, the star player was Nuke Lelouch, played by Tim Robbins, who also played Merlin, the backseater for Cougar. Oh, wow. Was Anthony Edwards involved in this movie? I don't think no, so. No, oh, too bad. To make that, that good, to make though. that connection, the list would have to be long but distinguished. That's true. Mm -hmm. 
Slider should have been in this movie. Slider um, should have been in this movie. He he should John, have been he just should have been the Randy Quaid guy. John Stockwell <laughs> also directed Blue Crush, which we that. talked about last week. <laughs> <laughs> ah, Blue Crush! How did you not know Blue Crush? Yeah. He directed right. Blue Crush and Into the Blue. Like I, I feel like he was trying to like type cast himself as a director in like the early two thousand. Potentially, I mean, if you look at his profile picture on IMDb, I mean, yeah, you can tell he directed surfer movies. So, uh... <laughs> and was in Top Gun. And was in Top Gun. All right, let's move on from Undercover. Uh, it's free on YouTube. If you just like. YouTube search undercover full movie. This will be like uh, undercover two words, by the way. Yeah, just so we're clear on that. Two words. Under that was a big decision in the marketing department as cover well. Cover full mm-hmm. movie. I think it's the second result on there. It's not even the top result. It's the second thing you'll find. And you'll see the horrible movie poster of uh of Peter Stormare and J- Jennifer Jason Lee. I just so. I also want to say that receding hairline, very Peyton Manning, I thought. Like this part of this movie felt like a Peyton Manning doing an SNL sketch as a uh, undercover cop. Uh, see, this is why we do come to the stable movies. This is great. This is great. And yet we're all, right. we're, all we're all giving it thumbs down. Sadly, I was hoping Todd would give it thumbs up. <laughs> I'm just it, it was the I don't know. It was the most fun I had all week watching movies. But I mean, it wasn't good. But I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, this is what I came here for. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's move on. It is now time for Power Rankings. You can't top that. Yeah, that's the movie about the horse. I'm going to pull an audible at the last minute here. That's because I haven't seen it. Power Rankings. Not including Fargo. Can't choose Fargo ever again. And if I remember right, the last Power Rankings, nobody won because Adam forgot how to do it. Adam lost. Adam lost. That was That's the, what he happened. He deliberately yeah. ignored the rules, <laughs> and he lost all of his points. I, I was I, I was talking to him uh, when we were before we recorded our our latest Barry episode, and he was like, "Yeah, I listened to it, and I went back to my text, and he went, "Crap, Todd did say good movies. Oh man, you should so, have told him to send his list of what it actually would have been. Oh, that I we we should still do that. Adam, send me your actual list at some point." And then we'll uh, we'll reveal it next time we do power rankings. Anyways, we decided that Zach had the choice, but it really wasn't much of a choice because it was a list we had to do around this time uh, because we have just a, we have a, a little less than half the half of 2022 left. And so, Zach, what are we doing? We are counting down our most anticipated releases for the rest of 2022. Yes. Most anticipated movie. Did, movies we, do this, uh, did we do this last year? Oh, good question. I, can't, I don't think we did. I think we skipped a year. I don't think so. I don't think we did. I'll look for it. But yeah, this should be a lot of fun. I don't know about you guys, but this was a hard list to come up with and to narrow it down to just five because there's a lot of great stuff coming out the rest of this year. Uh, Zach, since you kind of were allowed to pick this list, um, you get to go first. What's your number five? All right. Well, I do want to say just to kind of preface, I think 2022 has been a terrible year so far. Um, You've got multiple four star movies, but those are both French movies. That does. I don't think those count. But uh, in terms of. So main, you're not doing any foreign films on this list? I, I, I have a few that I am looking at for sure. But uh, 
Are we Merloing on this too? Yes. Because I feel like we're gonna have some overlap. I I'd say yes. Todd, you said yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Let's Merlot. Okay. Um, part of my anticipation list uh, derives from the fact that um, some of these movies have played at places like uh, Cannes and South by Southwest. And so I am relying somewhat on word of mouth a little bit, some of the buzz that has come from those festivals. Um, None of mine have played. Okay. Well, I'm just saying that I've actually heard they're legitimately good movies. So I don't know if that's mm. like insider information or not, but it's not going to be like you know, I don't know, some movie that was supposed to be great, but was actually awful. Um, and that is definitely true of my number five pick, which is the new movie by Kelly Reichert called Showing Up. And it, this reunites Kelly Reichert with Michelle Williams, who's been uh, one of her, the, you know, uh, uh, one of her best, one of the best collaborations um, <laughs> in Wendy and Lucy and Certain Women and others. And uh, this is a movie that doesn't seem to have a Kelly Reichert type premise, but it, it says it is about a sculptor preparing to open a new show, must balance her creative life with the daily dramas of family and friends. And this is a movie that played at Cannes and got pretty good reviews. It also has Hong Chow in it, a.k.a. Uh, from Downsizing and Driveways. And uh, Andre 3000. Nice to see him back in the cultural relevancy discussion. And Judd Hirsch, of course, fresh off his amazing role uh, in Uncut Gems. So I'm really looking forward to this movie. Um, First Cow was on my list of best, I think it was my top five list in 2020. I've never been disappointed by a Kelly Reichert movie, and this movie has got a lot of good uh, buzz about it. And uh, it's also only an hour 48 minutes. I really like that too. I'm very much looking forward to showing up. Yeah, that's a good choice. Like, I, for honestly, the first thing I did was look at my January Oscar predictions. <laughs> and a lot of them, I was just like, yeah, those are all still like ones I really want to see. And that this is definitely one of them. Yeah, I feel like Kelly Reichert, I could definitely see her winning an Oscar in the next 10 years. Maybe this is a movie that catches on with people. It seems like it's maybe more of a mainstream movie than some of her more sort of niche movies. About uh, a sculptor? That's I not, don't know. She's not winning an Oscar for I, that. Okay, well, it's not about a cow in eighteen six in eighteen fifties Oregon territory. I mean, it seems a little bit more relatable to mo- the, the sort of modern temperament of audiences. But uh, it, it would be nice to see Michelle Williams back too. I, we haven't seen her in a while, and uh, like I said, Kelly Reichert. Ne- she's never made a bad movie. I think she's like you know ten for ten or however many movies she's made. She's an awesome director. I didn't even consider this one, but that's a it's a great choice. All right, Todd, number five. Uh, my number five, I know it's not getting reload. It is Dead for a Dollar, uh, directed by Walter Hill. It comes out next month. Wow. And it, interesting about this title, the A is capital. Dead for a capital A dollar. I'm not really sure what the significance of that is, but I don't think I've ever seen that in a title before. But uh, Walter Hill has been out of the game for quite a while, but this sounds just glorious. It's about a bounty hunter. Who runs into his rival who sent him he he sent him to prison years ago and the, the rival is a professional gambler and an outlaw the stars of the movie are willem dafoe and christoph waltz i mean just like i'm there done like <laughs> that's sold like a ritual browse the hand is also in this like the last movie uh, uh and since his last movie like he hasn't done much but he did like tv stuff like walter hill did uh broken trail and deadwood which uh he won emmys for and stuff like yeah, this is like a really high-profile Western with a killer cast. So, I mean, I think he's qualified now. So, dead for a dollar. Like, I, I, I want this now. <laughs> How old is Walter Hill at this point? Do we know? 
Uh, Five years is nine. Born in 1942. So, oh, 80? Okay. 80. He's 80. Yeah, like he's 10 years younger than Clint or something. Same yeah. age as our president. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> that's a good that's one. The on, that's the only thing we have to say about Joe Biden on this podcast is like, Joe Biden, he's old. Like that. Yeah. <laughs> Direct quote from Zach. <laughs> I just say if Joe Biden can be president and you know do the daily functions of a president, you could probably assume that Walter Hill could still direct, right? Like that's a reasonable assumption, right? I mean, yeah, apparently in a movie in 2016 that I've never heard of, he had Bullet to the Head, which I think was a Stallone movie in 2012. So he's been around, but he hasn't made like a really good movie since probably the 80s. But Christoph Waltz, Willem Dafoe, like. Who's not signing yeah, up for that? That that that's that that sells you right there. Christoph Waltz and Willem Dafoe. I like it. I like it. That's a good one. That is a good one. Cool. All right. Number five on my list. Like I said, none of my movies. I don't think any of my no. Yeah, none of my movies have been seen yet by anybody. The a lot of a lot of future uh, festival releases coming up in in uh, in the next month or so. Because you've got you've got TIFF coming up, you've got Venice, you've got New York, you've got Telluride, you've got a bunch of film festivals coming up, and I think this one's getting its premiere at Venice. Um, my number five is the Banshees of Inisherin, mm, uh, nice. written and directed by Martin McDonough, reuniting Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson from In Bruges. It's also starring Carrie Condon and Barry Keegan. Uh, the plot, it says, is two lifelong friends find themselves at an impasse when one abruptly ends their relationship with alarming consequences for both of them. Uh, these two had amazing chemistry when they did in Bruges, and that was also written by Martin McDonough. Uh, he's Martin McDonough hasn't really missed in my book when it comes to his movies, whether it's in Bruges, Seven Psychopaths, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. I loved this is his first movie since then. And bringing these guys back I it once again it's showing that Colin Farrell might be having like the greatest year of any of any actor. I mean, when you consider this and the Batman and then his smaller stuff like after Yang, I mean, he is just having an insane year and uh maybe he gets his first Oscar nomination for something like this, but Martin McDonough's coming out with a new movie. I'm excited for it. So, number 5 is The Banshees of Inner Sheeran. Yeah, I I can't wait for this either. That just that just missed my list. Nice. All right, Zach, number four. Okay, number four is uh, a movie that might appear on either of your lists. Um, it is certainly on Todd's Oscar prediction list, and it is currently Todd's front runner for Best Picture. It is She Said, the movie that is uh, the retelling of the events that led to the New York Times um, exposing Harvey Weinstein as a horrible human being. Uh, true story, Megan Toey and Jody Cantor were the uh, journalists, um, and they were played in the movie by Carrie Mulligan and Zoe Kazan. Um, and I got to say, you know, so in some years, the best picture front runner, and I think this is, at this point, it kind of has to be considered the undisputed best picture front runner. Um, it's a little bit boring. You know, it's kind of the movie that you maybe unconsciously root against. You like to see a little bit of uh, drama and excitement, but I don't know. I think the trailer for this movie looked really good. I'm a big fan of Spotlight. <laughs> Um, and this movie definitely has some spotlight vibes. I love movies yep. about uh, journalism. Um, and this is really the first real attempt outside of maybe the assistant for 
for a major Hollywood movie to be looking at the Me Too movement and its origins. Um, I also just unequivocally love Zoe Kazan, and she is prominently featured in the movie. She, she seems like she's the main character, and I will uh, be down for any movie with Zoe Kazan as the main character. Um, and of course, Carrie Mulligan is great too. I'm not too familiar with the director, uh, Maria Schrader, but again, considering the push that this movie is having for a big release, uh, the trailer was released last month. Um, this to me looks like a major player and uh, I would be disappointed if this wasn't a great movie. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, great call by Todd back in January. Yes, to, to put this at the top. None of us knew it at all what he was talking about it doesn't look self-congratulatory it looks like a real like sincere honest movie that also has thriller elements to it and it doesn't also look tacky at all like it looks really polished and well done and this is all again based on the trailer we don't know this movie could crash and burn but i just think with the with the talent involved and uh the way that the trailer looked it just looks really good it looks an international director which is why it's probably going to win best director so yes that too it looks a lot like Spotlight, um, and I think that might be why I don't think it's the best picture frontrunner, because a film like that has won too recently, but... Well, and that had to be the perfect storm for it to win, because that was the first one right. forever to win with just one other pretty much potential win. Yeah. So, And this seems like a yeah, really similar kind of movie, but... Well, no, we almost see. had a different Mark Ruffalo. Instead of Rylance. Yeah. That yeah, was exactly. the longest R like ever in that in that ceremony. There's no scene in the trailer where someone screams, They lied, Robbie. There's none of that. Which is they knew funny. and they then what happened. Exactly. No, which none means of that it's not trailer. winning best picture. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah. Maybe that's but a good let's thing. not say Carrie Mulligan's the front runner for best actress. Maybe she might win this time. I don't know. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you never know. All right, Todd, what's your number four? My number four played at Cannes. Uh, I think it's the only one that people have seen, and it is Decision to Leave, directed by Chan Wook Park. It comes yeah. out October 14th. It's about a detective who's investigating um, a murder in the mountains, and he uh, meets the wife of the guy who was murdered, I guess. Uh, Chenwood Park is one of my like favorite directors. He did like Old Boy, The Handmaiden, Joint Security Area, like all of his movies. Just like yes, give it to me. I I I like I I almost prefer him to uh, Juno Bong, and uh, I just got to see this. The trailer is killer to this too. And I mean the the remarks that it got at at out of can were great. So I uh, I really I I can't wait to watch this. Nice, nice. That'll that'll be a good one for sure. Did I see that just got the the South Korea submission for international film? Yeah. It Wait, which out... makes sense. It won Best Director at Cannes, it looks like. And yeah, so it, it I mean, I think the uh, the other South Korean movie, I think, is also could be Japanese because it's, uh, I don't know. It, Broker, it has like, right? a, yeah, it, it has like a joint production. So they, they could uh, split that and they both could get nominated, I guess. All right. Very good, very good. That's a good one. Uh, my number four is not premiering at any festival. It's waiting till uh, till Christmas time for its big release. We've been waiting 13 years for it. I have to mention it. Avatar The Way of Water. Um, of course. Listen. Avatar, go back 13 years. Avatar was brilliant. 
It almost won Best Picture. When was the last time James Cameron steered us wrong? Especially when he spends time, like he has the last 13 years, making this movie? I mean, it's got to be great, right? It's got to be great. I mean, everyone's kind of its like, oh, another Avatar movie. I mean, did, they probably said the same thing about Terminator 2. I mean, that was that was what eight years from Terminator Terminator Two. Yeah. I mean, that this is this is thirteen, and it was because he was inventing the technology to make this movie happen. Um. The only thing I, that gives me a little pause about the movie is that, like, I feel like How to Train Your Dragon did a lot of the things that Avatar would have done, and made three of those movies in the last like ten years. So, a lot of that true is. I don't know. It, it sort of is like capitalizing on what Avatar did, and those movies are really popular. But I mean, yeah, James Cameron has not made a bad movie, I don't think ever, right? So, especially his sequels. His sequels have been Aliens and Terminator Two are leaps and bounds ahead of their original movies, even. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I feel like the the amount of skepticism this is getting just simply because it's finally coming out. It's not like Titanic level, but it kind of feels like Titanic in that everyone was just crapping on it the entire time, and then it came out, and it became like the biggest thing ever. Yeah, Avatar already was the biggest thing ever. So that's a big. This is going to be one of those movies that nobody sees until it actually is released. Yes, like yes, it's not going to be something that we get like a leak like two weeks before that there was a, you know, a critic screening or something. Like I I think we're all going to see this when it comes. Yeah. I mean, we've learned, I think, not to ever doubt James Cameron because when people doubted Titanic and Avatar, those movies definitely made those skeptics look pretty foolish. So mm-hmm. I'm not one to doubt James Cameron. I do wonder how many people really love Avatar nowadays. I definitely haven't seen it since I watched it in 3D 13 years ago at Lloyd Center. And uh, I. I appreciate being on your list, Terry. It's not, I'm sure it's a big movie. I'm sure it'll make a lot of money. It's just not something that I look forward to seeing, I guess. Like, I can think of so many other, like, smaller, more intimate movies. Like, even the Walter Hill movie. I mean, that's, like, intriguing. That's interesting. I think we're going to soon be bombarded with Avatar 2. And the trailer made no coherent sense whatsoever. Which I guess I sort of admire in a way. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not counting it out. I mean, it, it's pulling in Michelle Yeoh, Kate Winslet, Giovanni. Wouldn't it be Rabin. funny if it's a, if it's spectacularly bad? Like, wouldn't it be funny if it was Cats level disaster? And then they have three others that are already filmed. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that would be interesting. <laughs> uh, I, I, like I said, in James Cameron, I trust. So, all right, Zach, number three. Okay, number three, total Zach pick here. It is the newest movie by the Darden brothers, Tori and Lokita. This premiered also at Cannes to somewhat, I think, lukewarm to above average reviews. Not great reviews, but hey, I give every Darden movie a great review. Um, according to IMDb, it, the story is in Belgium today, a young wo- a boy and an adolescent girl who have traveled alone from Africa pit their invincible friendship against the cruel conditions of their exile. That sounds like a Darden Brothers movie, um, and uh, I do not recognize really anyone in the cast except for Thomas Doré, who played the kid in Kid, kid on the Bike uh, or Kid with the Bike. Um, I'll see anything the Dardens make. I don't know; they got to be getting old at this point. Are they as old as Walter Hill? I should look. No, that I up. just looked up. They're both uh, seventy-one and sixty-eight. So oh, okay, well, they're still in the prime of their careers. So uh, yeah, there we go. Um, I'm excited for it. 
I will admit that the unknown. I mean, according girl, to Clint's career, they still have like 20, 30 years of good filmmaking left. So I will admit that the unknown girl and young Ahmed were not two of their best movies. And you could make, I mean, you could make the argument that the last truly great movie was two days, one night. So it's been what eight years. Um, but I'll watch anything they do. Uh, to me, it's the same as Oscar Farhadi. They have carte blanche with me. Anything they watch, I'll, I'll be first in line to watch. Um, and I'm just excited that they're making a movie. This is their first movie since Young Ahmed. And uh, I just, uh, I, I love them. And I also love the running length of 88 minutes. That is fantastic. So well, it's already uh, thumbs up for Zach. There we go. Now we're talking. I hope it gets a theatrical release. I have no idea if it will or not. It does seem like a movie that I probably won't watch until like May 2023 when it comes on Amazon Prime for $5.99. But hey, I'll do it. And, uh, you know, even if it's not in this calendar year, I will definitely see Tori and Lokita. I think that was the first time you said the title, by the way. Sorry. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> no, he did, but it sounded like oh, you were saying those were the, the Darden brothers. Oh. Yeah, Tor Tori and brothers, Tori and Lokita. Uh. He, he led with the important part. It's a Darden brothers movie. They're definitely uh. not African. They're Belgian. All right, Todd, number three. Uh, my number three is The Whale. Uh, directed by uh, Darren Aronofsky. It comes out next month, apparently. Um, it sounds like The Wrestler reimagined, which yeah, The does. Wrestler is one of the 25 best movies ever made. Brendan Fraser is playing a 600-pound man who tries to reconnect with his daughter, which is played by Sadie Sink. Samantha Morton's also in it. Um, every time Aronofsky makes a movie, it's among my most anticipated. He has had flops, but I don't really care. Like, this one is more in his more grounded drama uh, realm, and he, he has not, and I don't think he can miss in those, because, like, all of the directing talent he has focused on something so specific, and they all become masterpieces, and The Whale... I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if it ends up being, like, my number one of the year. Yeah, I completely forgot about... I, I remembered it, and then I forgot about it, and... It would have been it on your list. It, it would have been very close. I don't know if it would have cracked this list, but it would have been very, very close. And I also just remembered another one that's going to pop up on another list very soon. But, um, yeah. See, the, hard, the hard part about doing this list is, inevitably, you forget something, right? Yeah. And then it's like, oh my gosh, Terry, how did you not have that on your list? So it's hard doing. In fact, that's probably the most nerve wracking thing is making sure you know all the movies that are coming out by directors that you like. I love that we haven't had any overlap so far. And the, what you were saying, Zach, and that's why I looked at my Oscar predictions, because that's how I form those things. It's like, okay, who are the significant directors with movies this year? Right. And that's what I go by. There's a lot of tension. Like... If if I hadn't if I didn't know about Tori and Lokita and Todd called me out on it, I would feel really really like bummed that I didn't have a Darden Brothers movie in my top five. All right, well let's that's talk about point. another uh, noteworthy director coming out with a movie this year, and that's my number three. It's getting a premiere at one of the festivals. I don't remember which one. It's expected to be released on December 9th. It is written and directed by Sam Mendes. It's called Empire oh. of Light. Um. Empire of Light is a love story set in and around a beautiful old cinema on the south coast of England in the 1980s. It's starring Olivia Colman, Colin Firth, and Toby Jones. And the guy from Blue Story. And the guy nice. and the guy from Blue Story? What? Michael Ward. Michael the Ward? Wow. Dude, I just got to love this movie that much more. Um, 
it, it it feels like another nostalgia piece like like we've had recently with Belfast and Roma, but this one coming from Sam Mendes. Um surrounding a movie theater, Olivia Coleman, I mean, and Colin Firth, how how can you go wrong with that? And Sam Mendes has really never steered us wrong. I mean, I was just looking at his filmography and the movies he's directed. American Beauty, Road to Perdition, Jarhead, Revolutionary Road, Away We Go, Skyfall, Spectre, 1917, and now Empire of Light. I mean, when the low low on the totem pole is your second effort at a Bond movie, you've got a pretty good resume. And he's making a nostalgia piece about a movie theater starring two Oscar winners. This is a total Terry movie and I'm going to love it. And I'm so looking forward to this movie. So that's my number three empire of light. Yeah. That's on my honorable mentions. I, I mean, yeah, every time Sam Mendes makes a movie, I'm there. So I yeah. think my Loki favorite Sam Mendes movie is away we go. You're an idiot. That's it's the worst am- movie by far. It's an amazing movie. I love that it's, movie. It's his worst movie. I don't love Sam Mendes the way you, you guys do. We all love American Beauty. I, yeah. Okay. I think, did it's I have okay. two or, I had, I had two or three yeah. Sam Mendes movies on my top 100. Like, American Beauty in 1917, for sure, were on my top 100. I think, like, I, I, I guess I just like his underrated. Like, I like Jarhead a lot. No one ever talks about Jarhead. Jarhead's anymore. a great movie. Like, that's that's really good. No one talks about Away Way We Go. That's really good. I've I could live never without seen Jarhead. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I could just live without the it. the 1917 like jack off session. I don't know. I'm just over. I'm over it. You, you that's because you, whatever. Okay. All you right. Didn't win. Director Bong it, won, for a the, reason. For a reason. Very good reason, but it's still worth it. Okay, Zach, number two. All right, so Terry talked about you know nostalgic pieces. Um, we actually have another nostalgic piece, uh, James Gray's coming of age story called Armageddon Time. It's not on my yeah. list, but actually that's that's it's on my honorable mentions. But it's not the number, only other one. <laughs> my number two is probably the one that most people are familiar with, and it is The Fablemans, Steven Spielberg's latest movie. Uh, latest collaboration with Tony Kushner. Second Michelle Williams appearance on my list, by the way. Slated for a pretty strong uh, 2022 showing. Um, it is the semi-autobiographical story of young Steven Spielberg's childhood growing up in post-war Arizona. And uh, Michelle Williams plays his mother. Paul Dano plays his father. Seth Rogen is his uncle. Interesting. Well, hey there, kids. <laughs> Who likes to puff the magic dragon? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we also have uh, the little girl from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and the gray man, Julia Butters, as his sister. Now, listen, I know a lot about Spielberg. Growing up, I was obsessed with Spielberg. I read his autobiography, or not his auto, his biography. I know a lot about his mom. His mom would sometimes, like, uh, take him out of school and lie to, the, to his teachers that he was sick just so they could go shoot a movie on his 16-millimeter camera in the desert. Very, I've always really admired his mother. I don't know too much about his dad, although I do know both of them lived very long lives. Uh, I'm so excited about The Fablemans. It it looks, I I mean, we don't know anything about the movie, but West Side Story was, I guess, his his 
best you know mark on cinema in the last decade or so and it would be great to see sort of a back-to-back real two really great movies to maybe kind of phase out his career although again he's old maybe not as old as walter hill but uh who knows how many how many more um steven spielberg mass masterpieces we'll get and he's never with the possible exception of bridge of spies really been too autobiographical with his movies, although he does say that E.T. is somewhat autobiographical in, in some ways. Um, I'm really looking forward to this movie. I think every every true cinephile is looking forward to it in a theater, and uh, it should be pretty fantastic. Anything less yeah. than that is a disappointment. Yeah, the Fablemans and Empire of Light were battling it out for that spot. I didn't want to put two of the nostalgia, you know, legendary director P movies on there. Um, another one that you didn't mention that is an, another nostalgia piece that's coming out this year is Bardo from Alejandro mm -hmm. Gonzalez and Yaratu. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's another one that you can mention in that in that category. But uh, yeah, I think everybody saw, everybody saw Roma and was like, hey, I want to do that. And, and, uh, and Belfast just came out a year early. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm just like, yawn. I don't care about the Fableman. It's going to be nominated for Best Picture, but I don't care. It's like, yeah, I mean, Roma like didn't love belfast like didn't love like it's all everyone's gonna do their thing and it's like okay whatever the, I know I think, this movie is going to be pretty boring and that it's going wow. to be a big audience pleaser and it's gonna be nominated for best picture but it's not gonna win but it, it's gonna be nominated because it's spielberg and i just don't care like that's kind of why i went for the podcast that's kind of why i went for empire of light instead because i feel like amenda's effort is gonna be a little uh a little more uh, but the seat the yeah. ceiling is so high for the failed ones i That's i understand true. what you're it's saying Todd. like if put it this way if west side story hadn't come out last year and hadn't been as good as it was i mean it was my top 10 of last year i would agree i i would think that it's a little trite it's maybe a little redundant whatever but like on the basis of spielberg and kushner's last collaboration like i i am still you know excited i'm still high from you know west side story like i think this could be really good but you're right i mean it's you know it's it, it's kind of like she said i mean it's definitely going to get oscar buzz and maybe that makes it boring but i have to be honest with myself it's a movie that i'm really looking forward to and anticipating it might be the most guaranteed oscar or like best picture nomination of any movie right now is the fablemans i mean spielberg what was the last Spielberg movie, like legit Spielberg movie, that was going for Oscar attention that didn't get a Best Picture nomination? Rin Tin so Tin. what are the ones you're excluding? You're just excluding like the Ready, Ready Player, Player One. one. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah, that's that's like the one. And and Tin Tin Tin, you could say too. Indiana Jones. Exclude that. I mean, what was the last one? I'm trying to look up his uh his list here. David Lynch is in the cast, by the way. And he so is in the Judd, cast. So is Judd Hirsch. Um, the Post made it in. BFG gets excluded. Bridge of Spies, Lincoln, War Horse, Munich. I mean, you you gotta go, and and then you're back to like War of the Worlds, The Terminal, Catch Me If You Can, Minority Report. I mean, every movie that like is is made for for Oscar, like like made for critical acclaim, in the last. 20 years has been nominated for best picture with catch me if you can as a, as a potential exception. I mean, you could kind of say the same about Scorsese though, but I mean, with the exception of like silence, which was just a disaster of how they distributed it. Right. But it was obviously the best movie that year. So I don't know. Yeah. But the, the one thing about the Fablemans that it also has is it also has Spielberg having a chance at a screenplay 
Oscar win because he doesn't have that yet. Uh, Todd, number two. My number two, uh, I've been waiting 16 movies for this guy's next movie. It is Tar, directed by Todd Field. Yeah. Comes out October 7th, and it stars Kate Blanchett. She's a composer. I mean, I mean, I, that's all I really know about the movie. The trailer is really interesting. It looks like he's channeling Kubrick or something. It's hypnotic. But his other two movies are number 45 and number 20 on my all-time list. I mean, if I I could, I would pay a thousand dollars to watch the movie right now. Like, I mean, I, like this is like this is the one. Even though it's not really even in the uh, the genre that I would even choose. Like, it's Todd Field's next movie, and I love those movies more. Than almost any movies that come out in the last 20 years. And that's your number two? Yeah. Number How two? is that your number two? Wow. You would pay a thousand dollars to watch it right now, and it's your number two most anticipated. Yes. That is amazing. That is amazing. You really just want you really want to see Black Adam that bad? That's your number one <laughs> above par. Uh that's exactly what I'm saying. That Tar is the one that, as we were talking, I went, oh, crap, I forgot about Tar. Yeah. I Can honestly I, don't know if it would have made my list. We I, just made it, list like, but... I mean, we should have just made it, uh, like, excluded. Yeah. Uh, can I just, I'll just say right now, Tar is my number one. And yeah. the only thing I'll add is that when I saw the trailer for it, uh, it was at Vengeance. It was the best part of going to Vengeance. And <laughs> I did not know that the trailer had been released. I would say it was one of the most shocking trailer moments of my life because i didn't know what what it was i mean it was some you know a woman who looked vaguely like Kate blanchett on the screen it looked like an anti-smoking advertisement but it was talking about covid and it was like <laughs> strange hypnotic music in the background that sounded like a terrence malick movie and it was just on screen this the smoke billowing on her face for like 90 seconds i thought it was going to maybe turn into you know some shape in the in the smoke and then it was like Kate blanchett and it was like tar and it was like real because all we've been doing the last 15 years is talking about project after project that was attached to Todd Field that never came into fruition. And this movie has to come out, right? I mean, this can't be, you know, Batgirl, right? They're not going to shelve this project. This movie is coming out. It is happening. It's all happening, like the Regal, you know, commercial says. And uh, yeah, a thousand miles. I, I would drive, I would drive 12. I'll do you one better. I'll drive, I would drive 1200 miles to see it. I would drive to like you would drive Michigan to, to see it. Or you would drive to like Oregon. <laughs> I, well, that's a little further. I, I don't know if I would go. Is it, is it? Maybe it is. Mountains, yeah. But I would drive to Detroit to see it. Wow. All right. I don't I mean, love I saw I saw Little Children in Seattle before a Sonics game. Like it was the only theaters playing in, in within like a hundred miles of me. I went there. So you would drive to the theater where Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is for it, right? No, I, I mean, I would, I would drive. On, I mean, right now, I said I would spend a thousand dollars on the movie. I mean, I guess I would drive to California probably to watch it if well, I you could. You would spend a thousand dollars. That's like a plane ticket to like Europe. I mean, that, that would be. <laughs> that's almost what I paid to fly to Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe. Maybe not now. But yeah, that's. That's dedication. I agree. Like I said, the two hour and 38 minute running length scares me a little bit. That's a little bit reminiscent of uh, Florian Hinkle von Donnersmark's follow up movie, which was not as mm -hmm. good and because in part because it was so long. Uh, so that that makes me a little nervous. But you have to put Todd Fields 
third movie number one. There's just there's no question. So I don't know what bullshit number one you have, Todd, but that's I'm calling bullshit yeah, on that. You'll get it. Okay. Don't worry. All right. Number two on my list. Uh kind of similar to the last one. It's a director with a track record that you know is gonna is gonna hit. It's also another sequel. It's the second sequel on my list. Right now, all it says on IMDb is plot unknown sequel to the 2019 film knives out and that's glass okay. onion a knives out mystery uh once again written and directed by ryan johnson uh starring once again daniel craig has been benoit blanc and this one's got ethan hawk Catherine hahn edward norton dave bautista kate hudson leslie odom jr janelle monet i mean this was the biggest surprise of 2019 is how amazing knives out was and it looked like it looked like one of those movies that was going to be hyped up and just completely flop. And then it, and then it lived up to all of the hype and then some. And so I can't wait to see what Glass Onion does. So I, I had to put it on my list. Ryan Johnson doesn't steer you wrong. And, and like it's oh, it's a sequel and it's not going to be as good. But he he finds a way to make everything original and unique, and I'm really looking forward to what he does with this. I trust Ryan Johnson more than James Cameron. That's why it's number two on my list, and Avatar's number four. I don't know about that, but... More than James Cameron. So do you not like any of James Cameron's movies? I just, I don't love them. I mean, I agree. Aliens is, I don't love T2 the way you guys do. True Lies is like, I think, a borderline thumbs down movie for me. I don't know. I could... I'm just not excited about Avatar, but you're the kind of guy that will say The Abyss is his best movie. I've never seen The Abyss, so I can't I can't say. But I agree with you, Terry. I, I I'm intrigued by the Knives Out sequel, which I can never remember the title of. Glass Onion, you said. Glass Onion. Nice. Is so is most of the original cast in in no this? just Daniel Craig. It, it's oh. it's just Benoit Blanc is back. It's kind of, it's kind of like he Benoit Blanc is his Hercule Yeah. Got it. Exactly. And it's not a Kenneth Branagh directed movie, which is really nice. <laughs> but I mean, did you hear that? I mean, Ethan Hawke and Edward Norton in this movie. This might be Todd's number one. If Ethan Hawke and Edward Norton are combining forces for a Ryan Johnson movie. I did not know they were in the movie, honestly. <laughs> All right. Well, Todd, what is this uh, this famed number one of yours? I mean, it's obvious. It's Clerks 3. <laughs> like I mean, I I don't know how yes! what else it could be. I mean, obviously Kevin Smith's movie comes out September thirteenth. Dante and Randall are making a movie about the Quick Stop with all the characters from the X universe. They're making like, Clerks one. I was sold before I knew the plot. Like they, he's been trying to make this movie for like like seven or eight years. Like and he couldn't get Jeff Anderson involved or you know on board because it was like oh. You know, I don't really like the direction you're going with this script. It's too pessimistic. It's like you're 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 being too emotional with it. And then he wrote rewrote it after he had a heart attack. And so Kevin Smith's making this movie, and it just sounds amazing. The trailer's great. He's actually doing the same release uh, uh, thing that he did with the Jay and Silent Bob reboot, which uh, he's going to uh, travel from town to town, do his own like stand up thing. He's going to show it in auditoriums. He's going to hang out with the people, and he's going to, you know. He's, he's going to watch it with like every city in the United States. Like the thing lasted like a damn year that, that he was doing that. And I, I think it does have like a few days that's going to actually be released in theaters, like in some theaters, not all theaters. But it's just so interesting. You have a filmmaker that has that much of a built in audience that he can pull that off 
where it's like they don't care that you're not going to make any money at the box office like you're just going to charge $50 and the people are going to go and watch you um introduce your movie and and just watch it in an auditorium or something and he doesn't have the pride that all the other directors of his generation do where it's like oh these all need to be shown in theaters these all need to make the money at the box office and stuff i i don't i think that i'm more anticipating this even more than i was jackass forever it's I mean, I just love Kevin Smith, and I love the Clerks movies so much. I, I didn't even get to see Clerks 2 in a theater, so this is going to be, like, a treat for me. And I honestly can't wait. It's in less than a month now, so I couldn't imagine. I mean, Tar, yes, but Clerks 3, come on. <laughs> that, that uh, okay, I understand the pick. I understand the pick. I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> he... He cares more about his characters than I do, which says a lot. He can't screw this up. That 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 is what I love about Kevin Smith. He loves his characters can't screw this up. more than Tarantino loves his characters, which is saying a lot. Really, he can't screw that. Isn't that what they said about Red State? And uh, no, no, those weren't his characters. Like this is him playing around. He says Austin. this is him playing around with his toys. His toys are his characters in the Esk universe, like Red State. And cop mm-hmm. out, yes. Those are wasn't the movies. Jay and Silent Bob reboot good enough? Like, wasn't it was that good. It was good enough. enough. And the way Did they really released need it, going going and watching that with him there and him introducing it and just the nostalgia of everything was great. Clerks three is going to be even higher because Clerks two was his most emotional movie, even more so than Chasing Amy. Let me ask you something: Do you really see a world in which you give Clerks three a higher rating than Tar? I mean, do you really see a, a scenario where Clerks 3 is like higher on your end of the year list than Tar? I don't know. I mean, Clerks is a four-star movie for sure. It's a it was in my top 100 for a long time. I don't know. It's that's I mean, that's a different thing. Like if you're talking about most anticipated movies, Clerks 3 is the movie. But yeah, Tar is probably going to be a better movie. I don't know. That's that's ridiculous. I mean, you you well, well, and and okay, you can have your pick, but then don't shit on me for talking about the Fablemans because the Fablemans is going to be better than Clerks Three, and I disagree, Gary. And well, but the the problem on, is with your list is that you had that that stupid Dorden Brothers movie that nobody's going to like any either. So and that that is my that okay, is like me well, having Clerks three on. But the list. I have the Dardenne's brother movie three, full knowing that it's going to be like a sixty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and everybody's going to call it a disappointment, except for me. So this is what. So what? How is that any different than Clerks three? I'm just saying it, it shouldn't be above Tar. It should be like your number. Well, whatever. It, we will see Clerks three. We will review it. I'm sure it will be thrice approved. I'm not even saying that I'm not looking forward to it. Like absolutely, but number one over Tar. Wow. I mean, Kevin Smith has made movies since 2006. He's been in the he's he's not a recluse. He's been on talk shows. He's been a, a, a you know, a person. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You're blind, dude. You know what I love? I love the fact that we did this and we we're talking about all the Merlots we we're going to have. And there was one overlap and it was tar. <laughs> and you forgot it. <laughs> yeah. And I forgot it. But uh no, even if I had remembered it, my number one would still be my number one. Talk about a track record from a director. Uh, that's what we're getting here. It's Babylon, mm-hmm. uh, written and directed by Damien Chazelle, uh, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Olivia Wilde, Toby Maguire, uh, Catherine Watterson, Eric Roberts, dude. 
apparently Flea is in this movie. Gene what? Smart. Spike Jones, Max Mignella, Lucas Haas. Yeah, Gene Smart. I mean, there's a ton of people in this movie. Jeff Garland is in this movie. Um, set in Hollywood during the transition from silent films to talkies, focusing on a mixture of historical and fictional characters. That's all we know. And it's written and directed by Damien Chazelle, who's given us Whiplash, La La Land, and First Man over the last 10 years. I mean, and, and now it's Babylon. I mean, at each step along the way, you're like, oh, that's not going to work. Oh, that's not going to work. And then it's amazing, and it's brilliant. And uh, he's the only American to win Best Director in the last decade. Uh, he is. He has the track record. This movie is going to be brilliant. It, it feels like another nostalgia piece. I mean, it feels like it's going to be right in the same in the same like uh, in the same zone as like Singing in the Rain and the artists in, in terms of what era it's going to be talking about. But it's Damien Chazelle. So you know it's going to be brilliant and you know it's going to be great and you know we're all going to love it. So it, it had to be number one on my list. Yeah, I, I had uh, texted Zach that there was a minus like 500 chance that this is going to be in your top two. So I'm <laughs> glad that I was right. And Zach said that was a stupid bet. So I did. I well. Not as stupid as Clerks 3 uh, as your number one, but I agree. That with, wasn't a bet, though. <laughs> I agree with uh, with everything you said, Terry. Uh, I think I'm more excited. I, I like uh, First Man Damien Chazelle. I hope it's that. I hope it's like he's maybe got some like, you know, 16 millimeter like, you know, film cameras out. I, I hope that he's doing something weird. I hope Brad Pitt's doing something different a little bit. Um, I don't necessarily want the glossy La La Land Damien Chazelle. I want the gritty, in-your-face, weird, somewhat abstract Damien Chazelle who loves Umbrellas of Cherbourg in old movies. So it, it could be hit or miss, but I'm, it doesn't change the fact that I'm very much looking forward to it. I mean, La La Land is is like a an ode to Umbrellas of Cherbourg. So I mean, you you don't want you don't want La La Land, but no, you don't. want the Damien La Chazelle La that loves Umbrellas of La La Land Brand. is too is too polished. It's too much of uh, Oscar bait. I, I want... can see it being like in between in between like First Man and La La Land in that it's it's like it's the Hollywood side of La La Land plus like the the feeling like it's of the time that First Man had. I don't know. Is that the same uh, guy doing the music? Ooh, Is it, yeah, his question. team, Justin Hurwitz, and or probably Let all me look guys. Uh, I don't even know if they've released that yet. Wow, this cast is gigantic. We don't have a trailer, right? No, we don't have it's anything. One of the for few this movie. movies we don't have a trailer for. Yeah. Um, I don't know it's probably this. I think there's also a chance it could be like this year's Licorice Pizza. Where like we don't get a lot of buzz about it until the very end, and it's it, it's like, gonna I have a Christmas like, limited release, and it's gonna open wide like the first or second week of January. That's what I it says right now. We all like Licorice Pizza, but it was like more of a respect kind of like, and it got the nominations, but it wasn't really a movie that was deeply beloved. I think that's like the worst. That's like the bottom worst case scenario for Babylon. Yeah, but it's gonna be in the conversation for sure. I mean, it, every. His first two movies were nominated for Best Picture. His third movie might have been his most one. polished. Yeah, was not that just was ignored for some reason. 
it, yeah, it, it's going to be there for sure. Okay. Uh, let's go five to one and then talk about, uh, talk about honorable mentions. Zach, go first. Number five, uh, showing up the new Kelly Reichert movie. Number four, she said number three, Tori and Lokita, which are not the names of the Dardem brothers, but it is a movie by them. <laughs> number <so> two, <laughs> the Fablemans and number one tar. It's just another nostalgia piece about the Darden brothers and growing up in Africa. Them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Todd, I just realized all of my movies are coming out in September or October, so uh, that's going to be a busy couple months. Number five, Dead for a Dollar, directed by Walter Hill. Number four, Chadwick Park's uh, Decision to Leave. Number three, The Whale uh, by Darren Aronofsky. Number two, Todd Field's Tar, and number one, of course, Clerks Three, Kevin Smith's future masterpiece. And mine, number five, The Banshees of Inisherin, directed by Martin McDonough. Number four, Avatar The Way of Water, directed by James Cameron. Number three, Empire of Light, directed by Sam Mendes. Number two, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, directed by Ryan Johnson. And number one, Babylon, directed by Damien Chazelle. Zach, honorable mentions. Okay, uh, number six on my list is the new Noah Baumbach movie, White Noise, which I'm mm-hmm. surprised and disappointed we didn't mention. Um, I don't know too much about it, except that it's based on sort of a postmodern, well-known postmodern novel by Don DeLillo. It stars Adam Driver, Greta Gerwig, um, Don Cheadle. It's a movie that has an $80 million budget. I don't know if it's getting released on Netflix or not, but uh, it seems like sort of, Similar territory to uh, Marriage Story. It says it's a dramatization of contemporary American family life. Um, I think nothing but great things there. Another one I really wanted to put on my list is the new Mia Hansen love movie, One Fine Morning, which got really, really good reviews coming out of Cannes. Uh, Mia Hansen love did Bergman Island last year, which I didn't really like that much, but I think she's a really talented director, great filmmaker. Good Goodbye First Love is one of my favorite movies of the decade. RMN by Christian Manju, the director of Four Weeks... Uh, four months three weeks and two days um which i guess is sort of an allegory about kind of proto-fascism in like a uh, romanian town um again got really good reviews coming out of can uh the movie that we see a trailer for every single time don't worry darling which mm-hmm. maybe we see the trailer for so much that maybe we're kind of over it at this point but hopefully it's still good um i want to dance with somebody i gotta say it i mean I- i'm looking forward to it casey lemons is, is really great yeah uh, talent um and uh whitney houston i mean you can't go wrong there i have to say also uh the tilda swinton genie movie looks really interesting aka directed by george miller yeah directed by george miller exactly (laughs) um i'm looking forward to it um amsterdam which we've seen the trailer for now jerry lee lewis the new uh trouble in mind the new documentary by uh ethan cohen um and i will say blonde but not for the reasons why it, on paper it's it looks like an interesting movie. Um, I, I'm interested in it because the word on the street, for one thing, it's an NC-17 movie, but the word on the street in this movie is that people are going to hate it. It's two hours and 46 minutes long, which I don't like, but I look forward to being like a contrarian uh, film goer and liking it for being really daring and probably abstract and long, long-winded. Um, but, uh, yes, I'm looking forward to the backlash for Blonde already, which I can anticipate, um, and I will enjoy the movie for that reason. Andrew Dominic, good director. All right, Todd. Uh, so I have a lot, uh, that he said, uh, and that we mentioned, but I'll just go through them. Uh, so I have The Sun, uh, Florian Zeller's Oh, movie. I completely oh, I forgot, forgot about The Sun! Which, of course, I mean, we're all going to oh, love that, that movie, I'm sure. that was going to be sure. on my list. That would have actually been on my list. 
the Banshees of Inishirian I have, The Greatest Beer Run Ever, Peter Farrelly's new movie, yeah. which, uh, I mean, I, I think we all are just curious about it. I, I, I just really <laughs> want to watch it. I have Babylon, Empire of Light, uh, Amsterdam, which I challenged Harry's Babylon thing that does the most impressive cast of any movie in 2022 is Amsterdam. Uh, Avatar, The Way of Water, uh, Wendell and Wild is a, an animated movie that is a collaboration between Henry, Henry Selleck and Jordan Peele. Um, Henry Selleck is the guy who he works for Leica and he does a lot of those movies. Uh, wow. Yeah, that, that is going to be something else. Uh, I really like the trailer for Till. I I, I really want to watch mm -hmm. that. Yes, forgot emotional. that. Yeah. Uh, Blonde, of course. Um, and then the ones that I don't have any idea if these are getting released and the studios don't even know. Uh, David Fincher's The Killer would definitely have been on my list if I knew it was getting released, but I don't know that they know what they're doing with it. The, the Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Of course, Scorsese's movie. Who knows? I mean, I, Apple might release it at the end of the year, but they might delay it a year. I don't know. And then The Way of the Wind is Terrence Malick's movie about Jesus, where the guy from Son of Saul is uh, playing Jesus. Uh, that has been in post-production for like three years. I have no idea. But um, I think it was on my Oscar predictions at one point in the last couple of years. So I don't know. If that's released, then that would definitely have uh, been in a challenger for my list. Mark Rylance is Satan in a hat. Mark so he, he's he's reprising his character from Don't Look Up, apparently. Yes, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I'll just mention uh, a lot of the ones you guys mentioned. I've have already been mentioned, but um, or the, a lot of the ones you mentioned were on my list. I'll mention the ones that no one has said yet. Uh, let's see here: A Man Called Otto, which is a mm -hmm. remake of A Man Called Ova, directed by Mark Forster, starring Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. Whenever That's Tom Hanks is in something, it's yeah. worth it's worth mentioning. Uh, let's see here, Bardo, which I mentioned before, Alejandro G. Of course, uh, it's going to be great. Uh, Bros, uh, written by Billy Eichner, starring Billy Eichner, directed by Nicholas Staller. I that think could that go either way. That could, that be could really go either way or really good. It's hard. It's, it's it, hard to tell. It's getting like a like a premiere tiff moment though. So I mean, it could it could be something. Do we, something do we know who Billy Eichner is? Like Billy on the street. The yeah, people know who Billy Eichner is. Okay. I think a third of this podcast does. You okay? I know who Billy Eichner is. Anyways, uh, let's see here. You guys mentioned some uh, some documentaries. One that I I mean we've been inundated with the trailer Moon Age Daydream. I'm fascinated by by the David Bowie documentary. I've not uh, seen the trailer. You've not seen the trailer? I've seen no. it for like every movie I've seen for the last two months. Wow. I've not um, seen it either. Oh, it looks real. It looks fascinating. I mean, David Bowie is just a fascinating dude. Uh, let's see here. What else has not been mentioned? Uh, da, 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 the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio, I think, is going to be not really interesting. Um, Hard pass. And then, uh, and then I, I did have Till on there as well. The Sun, I completely forgot about. Uh, that's about all the ones that I had. Okay. Now it's time to predict Adam's list. Let's hope he used uh, 2022 and not 2023. Yeah, yeah. Let's hope let's hope he understood the directions <laughs> here. Zach, what do you got? Okay, number five. Oh, screw it. I'm going to go with it. I, I'm hoping he's heard of this movie. EO, which is a movie about a donkey, um, directed by Jersey uh, Skolomowski. Um, he's not going to say it. I don't know. It's dumb. Uh, number four, <laughs> Don't Worry Darling. Number three, Tar. Number two, Wakanda Forever, which nobody mentioned. And number one, uh, which I thought might have been Todd's number one, but I was very wrong. Halloween ends. 
Ah, mm. uh, all right, Todd. Uh, number five, Glass Onion. Number four, Clerks Three. Number three, Black Adam. Number two, Wakanda Forever. And number one, The Fable Wins. Okay, just missing my list is an animated Batman movie. I'm assuming one of them is coming out in the next six months. But You're not going to get credit know. for that if he says I, one. Okay, number five, Hocus Pocus two. Uh, really? Number that's f- a thing. Num- that's a thing. It's a thing. Wow. Uh, number that. four, Halloween ends. Number three, Avatar: The Way of Water. Number two, White Noise. Number one, Glass Onion. Hocus Pocus two looks horrible. White Noise. All right, here we go. Uh, he says, hopefully I understood this week's ranking. Movies that sound like they are going to <laughs> suck fun. that I'm not anticipating. I'm kidding. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Honorable mentions, Halloween Ends, Amsterdam, Asteroid City. Oops. I've never heard of Asteroid City. Have you guys heard of Asteroid City? I've heard of it. Who's the director of that? Uh, I don't know. I think that, oh, that's, uh, that's Wes Anderson, I think. Oh yeah. Oh, it's not. Well, I don't think it's coming out this year. Though. And then, Probably and then his other one is the menu, mm-hmm. on his honorable mention. Mm-hmm. That's like Ray Fiennes. Yeah, Annie Taylor like Joy. The, yeah, the the trailer just came out. All right. Uh, his list number five: Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery. Number four: Another one has not been mentioned by anybody yet. Weird. A an the Al Yankovic story. Nice. Starring yeah. Daniel Radcliffe. Nice. Number three, Clerks three. Number two, Babylon. Number one, Blonde. I got one. Wow. And I got. Mention. I got two. I got number five in the right spot. Zach. Oh, I didn't get any. You didn't get anything. No. Well, Todd wins then. How does he not have Halloween ends on his top five? I know. I had That's... that. Yeah. Yeah, I got Clerks three and Glass Onion. Pocus, Pocus two, man. Hocus Pocus 2! He didn't mention the Marvel movie either. It just kind of shows where Marvel's at right now. That's one of the things, if if Zach had listened past the first eight minutes, that's one of the things we talked about in in the Daily Notes episode is Marvel's kind of lost right now, but there's more DC movies coming out in the next six months than there are Marvel movies. Because they have Black Adam and Shazam. But, all right. Well, Todd wins. What's the score now? Uh, I have 43. Zach has 26. Terry has 25. And Todd will pick our next power rankings. Trivia time. Are you ready? Well, let's hope so. Oh, I forgot about this. John Boyd is a slap in the face. This is going downhill quick. Trivia. All right. I won. You guys had to watch some stuff. So let's go... Let's go to Zach first. I'm curious about this. All right. Uh, Terry Asami Body Heat from 1981, the mm-hmm. Lawrence Kasdan movie with the late William Hurt and Kathleen Turner in two of their very early roles. It was Kathleen Turner's debut, which I didn't realize. Um, it is basically a somewhat remake of Double Indemnity. Um, it tells the noirish story of uh, a lawyer in Florida. Uh, named Ned Racine and uh, his tumultuous love affair with a uh, married woman. She's married to a really rich guy. Her name is Maddie Walker. She's played by Kathleen Turner. And uh, in noir, typical noir fashion, they conceive of a diabolical plan to murder her husband and maybe uh, change out the will so that she gets all of his money. Um, and uh, there is a lot of duplicity. There's a lot of double crossing. 
There's a lot of intrigue and kind of lurid sexuality. The movie's pretty graphic for 1981 standards. Um, I did wonder in the first 10 minutes why Terry assigned me this movie. I'm really not a film noir person. I actually sort of actively hate film noir movies. Um, in fact, I love Naked Gun 33 and a third because it makes fun of movies like this. And there was a part of me that couldn't really take seriously um, some of the love scenes in this movie, which were just so outrageous. At least it didn't have narration. Um, but once I sat back, uh, I will say I did enjoy this movie very much. Uh, it was uh, really well done. One of the things I liked about it was that unlike a lot of noir movies, like, you know, famously The Big Sleep, this is not a movie that has a labyrinthine plot that is always kind of just in the background servicing, um, you know, tension and, and wordplay between the main characters. This is actually a fairly straightforward movie that does get a little messy in the second half um, because William Hurt starts to doubt Kathleen Turner's motivations, but that's to be understood because if you know Double Indemnity, you kind of know the trajectory of this story. Um, I think the, the two leads really have a great chemistry, and the movie uses its set pieces pretty well, um, the, the heat in Florida. Um, it's got some nice supporting work by Mickey Rourke and Ted Danson, um, yeah, I enjoyed this movie. I, I think Lawrence Kasdan's an interesting director. In some ways, you could say it. Maybe he resurrected the film noir with this movie, just as he sort of resurrected the Western uh, four years later uh, with Silverado. He later worked with William Hurt and Kathleen Turner on The Accidental Tourist, which I remember being a pretty good movie. Um, I would say that the last five minutes of this movie, I don't know how much you guys remember, are a little bit unnecessary. There's a big sort of explosion at the end of the movie, and then there's an epilogue that's almost like the end of Psycho in the sense that it tries to explain every little detail, and I thought that was sort of unnecessary because we, I think the movie ends a little bit better on a more ambiguous note rather than explaining, oh yeah, this is exactly what happened, leaving no ambiguity, and I think the final shot of the movie is a bit superfluous. But as it is, I really like the stylized, uh, you know, um, um, narrative. Um, this is a movie that I think kind of took me by surprise after not really thoroughly enjoying the first few minutes of it. I give it three and a half stars, and uh, I agree with you guys. You guys both gave it three and a half stars as well. I see on our website it's one of the better uh, 1981 releases. So uh, I guess good call by you, Terry. Bryce approved. Bryce top ten approved. That's good. Yeah, that Mickey is Rourke good. is de Mickey Rourke is definitely the uh, I don't know best minor character, I guess. Um, I was intrigued I like by the. In this. I did like. I was intrigued by the little girl walking in on on, on oral sex. Uh, that was a great moment. Um, that I wish they've gone in more detail. But um, yeah, it's a good movie. Maybe we can deep dive it in twenty thirty one. Awesome, awesome. I'm glad you liked it. So now, you're well, gonna I have liked to send it because me... I love Double Indemnity. Like that's actually okay. a noir movie that I really love. This movie isn't as good as Double Indemnity, but you know, I'm also the guy that liked uh, the shot by shot remake of. Uh, you know, um, psycho. Uh, uh, no, not, <laughs> funny games. not psycho. Funny games. Yeah, there we go. Um, All right. So you're going to have it, to send me your updated 1981 top 10 then. If Henneke was making a 2022 version of funny games, uh, the third time it would be in my top five of most anticipated. <laughs> but yes, this is a good movie. I, I enjoyed it. I'm good glad recommendation. you liked it. I'm glad you liked it. All right. Good, good, good. Todd, what did you watch? Uh, I watched the 2020 movie The Alpinist, uh, the documentary mm. directed by Peter Mortimer and Nick Rosen about Marc-Andre Leclerc, who is a 20-something Canadian dude who likes to climb. 
and he's sort of like a local legend. He um, he like uh, sort of fearlessly climbs mountains, but he doesn't do it for the fame. He has a he has a thing. He uh, he's definitely is a thing in the climbing community. Like the guy from Free Solo, he talks about him quite a bit in the movie. And he accidentally broke one of his records at some point, uh, but he didn't do it for the fame. He just loves climbing, and uh, he did it for the adventure, and that's like his whole thing. This makes Mark Andre an intriguing topic for a documentary, but because he really doesn't care about the documentary, <laughs> I I like that the movie starts with a really sobering feeling because it it shows a lot of climbers who just like fall and die. I mean, it's pretty clear where the movie's going, like especially the way people are talking about Mark Andre in the past tense. It like uh it it really it's clear like where this movie's going. It almost feels like a spotlight article in a, like a newspaper or a trade magazine where that does in a documentary. Uh, the subject is kind of boring because he has no interest in cooperating with the filmmakers. You, you know right off the bat that it's going to be difficult to pull off because all he really cares about is climbing because he's sort of a hippie. He uh, likes to do psychedelics and uh, he just really doesn't care about what's going on in the movie. I don't, know, I don't know how they actually got him to agree to do it. It's an interesting story, but just doesn't make an interesting interview. Uh, but the, the footage is really cool. They clearly shot it all with like drones, which which I, I thought was really well done. Like, there's some really astonishing shots that they were able to get. But unfortunately, they're not the shots that we really want because the most interesting stuff that he does, he doesn't ever want a camera or another person there. He just like takes off in the middle of the night. He does something for himself. And uh, his determination is cool, but I can't really relate because like if you're the spotlight of a documentary, you probably, you know, want to at least show off a little bit um it kind of reminded me of like i've been watching a lot of documentaries about like uh professional gamblers so particularly like sports gamblers and you get like the really famous pro sports gamblers who talk about these sort of underground sports gamblers and they're just like wow this guy is an absolute degenerate and he somehow remains completely off the radar even though he's like a crazy person like betting all this stuff that's sort of the way all these like climbers are talking about mark andre which which is kind of cool, but I mean, but I just don't think that it should have been a documentary because he just doesn't really, he's not an interesting subject. He, It's a disappointing uh, way to go with it, but the filmmakers do all they can because they narrate so much of it. They fill in the gaps and there's some really creative writing that they have, but it just isn't quite enough to make it a three-star movie. So I'm giving it two and a half stars, but I don't know. Intriguing. I just, I just wish the, wish the guy actually had any interest in the movie at all. See, I thought the fact that he had no interest in it made it stand out that much more. Because, I mean, it's it's impossible to not compare this to Free Solo. And I felt like that made it such a different movie than Free Solo because the subject of Free Solo was totally in on everything and, and was such a dynamic person where, where uh, this character, this guy, is so different and takes a, such a different look on everything a different view a different outlook and a different fate that i i thought it, it really um it really made it made it stand out so i know zach liked this one too i did although i i can't remember any of it <laughs> maybe that says something about it. i remember free solo very well but this movie which i think i saw within the last year i remember pretty much nothing of well, I just right. didn't, I mean, it, it, Except it's just a little frustrating because like, they're like, oh yeah, so we were waiting for him to do this. And then we lost him for like two weeks because he did these like amazing things <laughs> that nobody would ever think about doing. Yeah, that sounds and we don't have any footage of it because he just took off and did it. And we couldn't get a hold of him. <laughs> I mean, you had a, yeah, yeah, I have a good point though, that 
how how they were able to put it all together is is pretty impressive. Yeah, the documentarians are really talented. I just don't think I think that they are probably a little disappointed the fact that they didn't get as much as they they could have because it would have been really interesting the fact that he just was doing these things that nobody would even think about doing. And the guy from Free Solo is just like, oh yeah, I was on a mountain and I saw him like over on a spot you're not supposed to climb on like thousands of feet away. It's just like, <laughs> dude, that's Mark Andre. What the hell is he doing over there? By himself. Yeah. When, like, when they actually interview the guy from Free Solo <laughs> and said, yeah, this guy's insane. That That's when you know you're dealing with something. something and that special. was in the publicity for the movie too. Yeah, I remember yeah. Alex Honnold getting interviewed and thinking he was more interesting. Which is why Free Solo is a better movie. Free Solo is a better movie, but I thought The Alpinist yeah. was a lot better than Todd gave it credit for. Okay, that's fine. You watched it. It was a movie I could think of that you hadn't seen that I had. So there you go. It's trivia time. And I have a feeling you guys are going to hate this, but we're going to do it anyways. That sounds about right. Um, it sounds about about right. So uh, so we just talked about our most anticipated of 2022, the rest of the year. And so much of what we are uh, looking forward to is going to depend on uh, their uh, premieres, which are going to happen at film festivals. And there are two like big film festivals happening uh, coming up in the next month. And that's Toronto and Venice. And they give out top prizes. Uh, Toronto gives out the people's choice award. Venice gives out the golden lion. So I decided just make it all one category of one category here. Can you name the people's choice award winners and the golden lion winners from TIFF and Venice? So here's here's what I can give you. Uh, TIFF started giving out the People's Choice Award in 1978. And I will say TIFF in 2000 started naming a top three or four. Uh, and if you get one of the ones that was in the running, I will give you half a point. Um, Venice started giving out the Golden Lion in 1946. But there are some years where they did not award it, like in 1953, where they couldn't decide. 1956, there was a tie, so they just didn't give it. Uh, and then from 1969 to 1979, it was not a, uh, uh, it either was not competitive uh, film festival or the film festival was not organized enough to give out the award. So what year did that one start? 69. To, oh, it started in 1946. So there are 44 People's Choice Award winners from TIFF. There are 68 Golden Lion Award winners from Venice. And after the one that they said uh, there's a tie, they actually started naming some some co-champions of it. So there are some ties for that. So uh, I'm going to say uh, this is a three strikes you're out. So you get um, if you miss one, I'll let you I'll let you keep going. But this could go for a while or it doesn't go very far at all. We'll see how it goes. So. Uh, we are going to start with uh, Zach because he liked the movie I assigned him. Uh, I also like the movie that you assigned Todd more than he did. Um, yeah. I'm going to say Roma. Uh, Roma won the Golden Lion in 2018. That is correct. Todd. Uh, Green Book. Green Book won the Audience Award in 2018. Correct. Um, Nomadland. 
Nomadland won the People's Award at TIFF and the Golden Lion. You get two points. I think it was the only movie to ever do that. Todd. Uh, Belfast. Belfast won the Audience Award at TIFF in 2021. Correct. Zach. No Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Men. Let's go back to 2007. Um, that is incorrect. Strike one for Zach. Go figure. Uh, three billboards. Three billboards. Won the audience award. That is correct. Tie game. Zach. Spotlight. Spotlight. What would that be? 2015? Uh, it was nominated for the audience award at TIFF. So you get a half a point and no strike. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Oh, eight Slumdog Millionaire won the audience award. That is correct. Point for Todd. It is now four to three and a half. Todd is winning. The Pianist. All right. Going back to 2002 now, The Pianist. Let's see here. Did not win or was nominated for the audience award and did not get the Golden Lion. That is strike two for Zach. Todd. Um, I'm going to say the power of the dog. The power of the dog got nominated for the audience award. You get half a point. The King's so Speech. It didn't win in Venice, no. The King's Speech won the Audience Award in 2010. That is correct. Zach gets a whole point. It is now tied four and a half to four and a half. Todd. Um, the Artist. Yeah, That'd be 2011. Too. Did not get the Audience Award or was nominated and did not get the Golden Lion. That was, a, wow. oh no, that was a can big hit, I guess. That is strike one for Todd. Uh, the Hurt Locker. Let's see here. That would be 20... 2009 or 2008, I think, was its festival runs, right? I don't, yeah, I don't think it... It, it was, did it not. Hit. Nope, it did not get anything. That's strike three for Zach. All right, Todd, it is tied. I'll send you one more. You need one more, and you have two strikes left. Um, oh, uh, like a history of violence. What would that be? 2005? Yeah. 2005, not the Audience Award. Really? I thought that was one that, like, and not the Golden Lion. Nope, that's strike two. You need one. Or else it just opens um. back up. Finding Neverland? Oh, 04. No. And no. All right. New life. <laughs> Zach, you get another shot. Oh, um, you get a fourth strike. Everyone gets a fourth strike. American Beauty. American Beauty would be 1999. It won the Audience Award. And let me double check to make sure it didn't win the Golden Lion. I don't think it did. Nope, it did not. 
That is correct. Todd. Did we say Parasite? We did not say Parasite. uh, I'll go with that. Parasite was nominated for the Audience Award. It did not win the Golden Lion. You get half a point. Zach, you're winning by a half a point. The Piano. The Piano. 1991. It did not win the Audience Award. 1993. My bad. 1993. Still did not win the Audience Award. Uh, And, oh, it did not win the Golden Lion. I thought it was on this list, but it's not. All right, Todd, can you take it? If you miss here, all right, you, you have to either get it or you don't because Zach's a got a half point. point lead right now. He could get a half point. Or a half point I to think keep the it big, going. I think the big one in 2016 was Lion. 2016 Lion was nominated for the Audience <laughs> Award. The game goes on. Uh, yeah, so Todd gets a half a point. He gets another shot. Todd, you now have another shot to win it. Can you name one more? Well, what, doesn't it go on? Well, but he hasn't missed one yet. Oh, so okay. he gets he gets to so he gets another shot. Okay. He gets another shot. Because I missed nine. Okay. Because you yeah, because you got okay. a strike. And he, he got a half. I'm I'm impressed that he got lion. That's almost worth a full point. <laughs> I'm gonna say the wrestler. The wrestler won the golden lion. Nice. That's what I'm talking about. Todd wins. It's appropriate okay. that it was the wrestler that gave you the win. It is, it is. Okay. Um the other uh, nominated film for the Audience Award last year was Scarborough. Um, One Night Miami was nominated. Uh, the winner in 2019 was Jojo Rabbit. Uh, wow. La La Land won in 2016. What about In the Bedroom? I was going to guess that. 2015 was Room. 2014, Imitation Game. 2013, 12 Years a Slave. 2012, Silver Linings Playbook. 2009, Precious. 2007, Eastern Promises. Damn, that was the one. 2005 was Sotsi, 2004 Hotel Rwanda, 2002 Whale Rider, 2001 Amelie, not mm. not in the bedroom, 2000 Crouching Tiger, 1998 Life is Beautiful, Seer Shine, one Strictly Ballroom, Fisher King, Cyrano de Bergerac, Roger and Me, Princess Bride, The Big Chill, Tempest, Chariots of Fire, and then if you go The Golden Lion. Uh, last year's winner was Happening, directed oh, by yeah, it's a French film. Audrey so Zach should have gotten yeah. yeah. Uh, t- 2019 was Joker. Uh, oh, then you right. had I yeah, that. Shape of Water won it. Uh, let's see here, what else notable won it? Uh, Lust Caution, Brokeback Mountain, Vera Drake, um, Monsoon Wedding, Michael Collins, um. Three Colors Blue won it in 1993. So, Todd, when you were putting m- making your picks, were you just guessing? Because I was totally guessing. Do you have any, uh, like, Well, I mean, ideas? I know the, the, the audience award does have a correlation with a movie that does get nominated for Miss Picture. So I, I remembered some of them, but then I was just going with, like, sort of crowd police from that year, which is why I said Finding Neverland. Our of Our Lays Off won in 1987, won the Golden Lion. Atlantic City in 1980 by Louis Mall. They like so. Louis I mean, I, educated guesses, but I, I honestly, after the first like five or six, I had no idea. 1957, a Parajito one. Nice. 
Rashomon won in 1951. I was thinking about going with a random movie. I was just like, should I say like Patton or something? Olivier's <laughs> Hamlet won in 1948. I, I got Patton played at the festivals, but <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Todd wins. He gets to sign his stuff. That that was, you know, that that went about how I expected it to go. I'm not but the mulligans helped. Uh, the mulligans did help. And the half points helped. And the half points helped. It's true. It's true. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Quote of the day. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Todd, you won. You go first. Uh, I'm going to quote Zach on episode 52 of the podcast because I randomly uh, downloaded and listened to this episode again because I needed something to listen to when I was going for a run. It was the episode that we talked about Boiler Room, but we reviewed Ad Astra. And Terry said it was the most epic rant we had on on the history of our podcast, which I kind of still agree with. But he says, in his scathing review of Ad Astra, he says, Ad Astra has a really cool opening where Brad Pitt's fixing a satellite, but that's not the that's only the second best move uh, scene this year where Brad Pitt's fixing a satellite, because in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he takes his shirt off. <laughs> and... Yeah, I went on a rant about uh, the killer monkeys too. I believe. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Episode. Yeah, there were a lot. There or did, were a lot or of, did he uh... fall? I, th- I thought he fell asleep during the. Yeah, killer I monkeys. fell asleep and woke up to the killer monkeys. Yeah, yeah. The, the space yeah. monkeys were uh, were a shock to you mm-hmm. uh, when that happened. You said that there probably should have been some space monkeys in boiler room, uh, but there were unfortunately were not. <laughs> That's beautiful. All right, Zach, what do you got? All right. Well, I guess uh, carrying on that idea a little bit, um, I must confess, I did fall asleep a little bit uh, during Undercover. I actually had to watch the ending three times because I fell asleep once. Then I tried again, fell asleep again. And I watched it the third time and I was just disappointed. And I was reminded of the line in Jackie Brown when Melanie is talking to Lewis about uh, the picture that she has in J- from Japan. And uh, she talks about how the guy that she was living with didn't speak English and she didn't speak Japanese. And Lewis says, well, that sounds like a problem. And and Melanie says, not really. We didn't have too much to say to each other. I never got to know him that well, but I knew enough to know that I wasn't missing that much. That's the way I felt about missing the end of Undercover. I knew and I didn't know what I was missing, but I knew enough to know that I wasn't missing much. Thank you, Quentin Tarantino and Elmer Leonard for summarizing my feelings perfectly. Very nice. All right, well, I'll wrap us up. Uh, I have a quote from a movie that none of us mentioned as our most anticipated. It probably would make our least anticipated list. Uh, But uh, it's from the trailer of that movie. Uh, It is uh, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. And uh, I I feel like it it describes watching you two try and come up with winners for the TIFF Audience Award and the Golden Lion. Uh, At one point, one of the characters says, stop, you're going to give yourself a hernia. So... Yeah, not looking forward to that movie. Did Puss in Boots win a Golden Lion Award? That would be one of my guesses, actually. I also thought about saying it, it's it's what uh, it, it's what we should say. The filmmakers trying to make these these sequels like Puss in Boots too. So, anyways, with that, we're gonna bring this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.